Right, this is going to be another episode of Summoning Insight with me here, Monty Christor, next to me, and Ox casts in the other box. And we're going to talk about the LCK and maybe a little bit about the LPL, we'll see. Nowadays, it's quite hard to get people to talk about the LPL. Not out of disinterest. In fact, the people most interested in the LPL won't talk to us about the LPL. I don't know why this is. I don't know if it's like actually the LPL has become some sort of cult and me and Monty are just like heathens on the outside and then yep. there's like an inner circle and then within that, there's like the actual real <laughs> secret order which takes all the like stuff from Satan and stuff and then like it puts it out into the world and then gets all the money. Oh, well, I'm thinking of the entertainment industry. My, my bad, my bad. Right, I, got, I got off track on that one. So anyway, the thing is, Monty... Normally, you know, famously this show, the reason it's the best is the rapport, the freestyle jokes, the live running commentary and analysis, right? But what people don't know is we very rarely prepare anything for this show. But actually, Monty, in light of our <laughs> fabulous association with a certain company, I've actually prepared something for you, Monty. So oh, boy. Just, oh, boy. What? <laughs> if you could all quiet down a second, I'd just like to say, suffer long, hot smoke, I say verily nay. I was cool off the freeze pipe, eh? 300 degrees, can't get much cooler than these. A twister across the landscape of my imagination. Twin, oh, that'll be the, turbi the, the tornado bong with its percolation. Twin turbines make it comfy if you like to get high. No need for ice cubes, so the glass will be dry. How do you purchase thefreezepipe.com? Oh, and use the code LFN for 10% off the order. Now, if you haven't studied beyond just the cursory two or three times that everyone has, James Joyce's Finnegan's Wick, you might actually have been a bit lost in some of that. Then. You probably didn't really sort of sense the deeper meaning of what I was saying. It might even have been confusing, perhaps even disorientating, kind of like the experience I have when I get hot, irritating smoke in my lungs <laughs> while I'm trying to enjoy fine cannabis products. We've all been there. I don't know if anyone's been there. I can only speak for myself. But like James Joyce in his work, it's very recursive about his own personality and individual sort of single-pointed experience of the universe, but fractally taken down through the prism of an individual human soul. So anyway, if you want to have these sorts of thoughts, but really chilled out, I'm talking, not just chill, I'm talking really chilled out, like th over 300 degrees, then what you'll be talking about is the glycerin, food safe glycerin chamber, which when you put it into the freezer section for only one hour, an hour can become an infinity, I'm telling you right now. But it won't feel like it with the freeze pipe because it'll feel like only an hour, like just like those pauses in the LEC. So then we'll be right back to the action and you'll be able to cool in that smoke by over 300 degrees, almost like the amount of degrees that the LPL does in terms of meta evolution, where they just end up right back at the beginning again, no matter what seems to happen <laughs> at Worlds, they just do whatever they want, don't they? I'm here already, which is also kind of the experience of being in a James Joyce novel, isn't it? And how do wow. you get this, Monty? Well, you get it from the freeze pipe com with 10% off your order if you want to slash away at your fantastical dragons using the code LFN. That go. was beautiful. Thank you. I, I did not expect that today, I have to say. Well, all I'm going to say is this. Here's the hidden component to understanding all of that. The product helped me write that particular verse. <laughs> excellent. Excellent. Unlocking your inner muse. <laughs> exactly. You know, I, th I thought I'd give people a show of what can happen if you indeed do cool your weed smoke by over 300 degrees. Wonderful. With the freeze spider ball. Well, welcome to something inside Ox. <laughs> Who something. knows what's going to happen on this show? I never know. Who knows? <laughs> there you go, Matt. Uh, so Ox has just moved to Korea. Very excitingly, after being stuck, what, in, in visa limbo for forever? Yeah, I think so. The, the visa we applied for at the, towards like late end of December, it was quite late that things sort of happened in the off season. 
And then it was 11 weeks before I actually got to fly out there. So I, I missed pretty much the entire split. I got in for week nine. Uh, and then I was also like, obviously trying to sort the apartment as I arrived while also casting on week. So it's just been kind of hectic, but I'm kind of at the point where, you know, I have someone to live, right? And there's a little <laughs> bit of time off for playoffs. So it's, it's worked out okay. You, you arrived just in time to take a break. Congratulations. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> it's actually going to be like playoffs. And then it's like, okay, I have a couple of months to do nothing. Great. Uh, well, I'm sure you'll be quite busy setting everything up. So yeah. I, I trust that you've been in your in your time that you've been you've been waiting to arrive in Korea. You've been watching all the games. Uh, you did some LPL as well. So we can talk about that with some of the playoff games coming up, especially because this week is the start of the giant LPL bracket. Obviously, you did LPL last year. What made you make the leap over to LCK? I mean, there was a Did few things. Three out of four teams in the, you know, that's in the top exactly four. it. You know, I was like yeah. LPL till I die, I and then we got smashed. And I'm like, I'm with that. Um, <laughs> I think there's a lot of reasons when anyone sort of makes this decision. Ultimately, like one of the biggest parts is the fact that LPL is still remote, whereas you know, I'm, oh, yes. I'm now at Lol Park casting in person is uh, that alone is like enough justification. But also, you know, as much as I, I love the LPL teams, like the LCK broadcast is something I've watched since, you know, I got interested in the league and has always been something that one day I hope that I'd be able to, to work on. Uh, and the fact it's happened is still still kind of crazy. But, so you know, there's, there's a lot of reasons behind it, but I, I don't honestly say the remote one is the big thing. I think it's just the fact that, you know, I've gone from doing bedroom casts to now being at LOL Park with the players there, you know, with my co-caster with me. It's just you can't, you can't compare that. A what? Just being in a bedroom, <laughs> in, a bedroom. in Australia or whatever, being like, the LPL, welcome to China, the LPL. Well, I, you know, I, here's, here's a question for you. Do you think the LPL will ever go back to on-site casting? Because it just seems so much more economical for them to do it remotely out of Europe at this point in time. Like, I'd be yeah. surprised if they did, personally. With, like, without commenting on what I know from, like, uh, having worked there, in my personal opinion, I feel like it would make more sense to have a remote studio because I, I think That's like true. doing remote isn't necessarily bad if, if there's like the studio setup. I think the reason it's frustrating is because there's you know a lot of technical issues with doing like everyone in their own bedroom. There's also problems yeah. when like people are not in the same room with each other. It's hard to have the same like level of rapport on a cast. And also you know if I'm ca when I was casting with like hysterics in Australia, there's a bit more of a delay between so there's obviously some issues yeah. with uh it's not always the easiest to get like visas in china so i think that you know if they went for a remote studio it'd, it'd make things uh a lot easier and also uh bring a level of the broadcast up so that's what i'd hope how much was the delay when you would do it? it would be just like a second or something yeah it wasn't super long but then also sometimes uh we'd have there were a lot of issues behind the scenes like i think a lot of people they they see stuff happen and they're like oh you know i'm Oh, what are the cast is doing, right? But like sometimes we'd have issues with the connection from China. So like we'd be we'd be uh, casting off a feed, and the feed, the quality would just drop to the point where like it was unwatchable. Like you could you couldn't tell what was going on. It'd be like, okay, which square is which champion? And there was times where like you you just kind of muddle through it. But sometimes it's like I, you you literally see on the broadcast like I don't know what's going on. The feeds the feeds absolutely gone. Um, we've had issues with like audio as well. It's just. It's a constant headache, and like to be fair, they're trying to do everything they can. Like when we complain about the feed, they offered solutions and try to like sort out a more reliable strategy. But it's just like it's never going to be the same as like having, like being, for example, the LCK being in the studio, having like the direct broadcast feed, and you never have to deal with any of these issues. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I totally understand that, and especially they could set up something in Europe or Australia, both of which have, you know, proper time zones that are acceptable, at least like obviously North Americans in the middle of the night. But at least for you, the LPL games start in the morning in Europe or they start at, yeah. you know, basically the same time. Like, I think what most Australian like Australian times is like an hour ahead of of China Central Time or something like that. Um, China Standard Time, rather. So I think it, it makes sense in order to do that. But yeah. Glad you're glad you're with the LCK now. So I guess we should start talking about some of these teams. Do you want to start by talking about T1 versus KT or do oh, you, you mean the LPL? Well, that was the LPL final once you didn't you see it? Like the end was even just exactly like the LPL finals. Like anyone could fucking win. Well, that, oh no, sorry, you don't win this time. My bad, KT. You know? I feel like that was such a, a shell shock because I mean obviously the expectation was T1 was so dominant, everyone was just thinking T1, who's gonna challenge them? Will it be like Gen G? But KT came out huge, but also I feel like T1 looked really sloppy, and I feel like that meta read was was super off as well. Like it's like at the start of the split, I feel like they were completely on top of the meta. We saw Carrier defining it with like these marksman support picks, but then we've seen like a shift away, like it used to be like Junglers, which is gank bot level two, you play through bot, mid's kind of a bit more disconnected. We've kind of shifted more to like mids being involved more, um, like more focused on getting the mid control and then leading there. And then also it's been more about skirmishes and like we've seen like the return of supports like Rakan and stuff, right? But it just feels like, especially there was a game where they went like Zeri, Ash, Cassadin. And I'm like, I mean, even in the marksman meta, like, I don't know how that's supposed to work, but it just seemed like a, a free loss. And then there was other games where I'm like, well, I still don't like their draft, but they kind of won because, like, there was at least in game where Ona just popped off. It was, it was kind of weird. And then game five, I mean, I feel like you can't really analyze that. It was just, it was just chaotic. <laughs> yeah. Um, a lot going on. I do think that KT has obviously stepped up, and I think the meta has started to suit them more because uh, I feel like as we've sort of progressed, um, BDD was already, I, I feel like one of his characteristics early on in the split was he was quite active on like making roams happen. And sure. it's something that kind of fits well when he's able to play things like Talia in the current meta. I also feel like uh, certain members, like I feel like Keen absolutely popped off. Like Zeus, I, they for the all pro for LCK, I think Zeus was the only person to have like, I think it was 100% of votes were for him for the first team. And yet Keen, like there was that, that final game where it was like the non to Jace and he just absolutely bodied him, which was kind of like, you know, very uncharacteristic of Zayas generally. But then also he's like, I, I feel like his performance in like the World's Finals was not great either. So, and also uh, MSI Finals last year, it feels like maybe sometimes the pressure can, can hit him harder, even though like normally he's such a, a solid, consistent player. I mean, I do think that one of the things that T1 suffered from in this series was that they were very insistent on blind picking for Zayas, which like led to these scenarios. And if, if we think back to the last time that they played KT, they actually were banning the Jacks um, and making sure that that wasn't going to be an opportunity. Like they were very specific. They were very deliberate about targeting Karma and Sejuani and Jax. And that was because KT was rather one dimensional at the time is before we saw all the pick comps is before we saw the Vi and the Twisted Fate and everything else coming in. So they knew that KT had some very specific win conditions, but this time around they walked into this series and really, you know, they it, it felt like they were very actively going after the NAR. And even in the fifth game when the Jace was available, they opted into blind picking the NAR instead of instead of the Jace. Um, although they did actually finally ban the Jacks that was causing them so many problems, but this led to a pretty advantageous lane matchup for Keen, where he was able to get, you know, solo kills. And I think he also was just, you know, to your point about Zayas not showing up in the world finals. 
even though Zayas was like arguably disadvantaged, he still did not play particularly well, um, even from that disadvantaged state. And there were a lot of times where, you know, Keen was getting these solo kills, but we could argue whether that was necessary to have happened, like whether there was a way that Zayas could have lost those lanes a little bit more gracefully rather than dying repeatedly and, and giving KT an option back into the game. I also think it's like a, it's a really weird thing where, because I feel like talking about the, the last World Finals and last MSI Finals, where it feels like they just don't give as much help out to Zayas in the draft and kind of just expect him to deal with it. Because obviously you mentioned in that in this series against KT, but like in World Finals, we saw that the Aatrox being left open to the other side consistently when mm -hmm. Aatrox was super broken. And as well, I remember specifically when they went up against RNG, every game, Bin was getting Gwen, which was so broken at the time. And then RNG yeah. would ban it against Zayas. And it just feels like sometimes, you know, they're like, oh, you know, Zayas is great. He can manage. He can handle it. Like, I don't know where the communications come out from, whether it's Zayas being like, I can handle it. It's fine. Or it's the team being like, yeah, just deal with it. But it definitely feels like there's a lot more freedom given over to the opposing top, especially when we've seen when in the regular season, drafts were more focused around Zayas, and they gave him, like, counterpick. Like, he can just completely run away with the game. Like, we saw... I mean, not even counterpick. We saw times where, like, they were first picking the cannon, and he was just dominating. They just couldn't match him, as long as he was set up in a situation where they didn't have a good counterpick for it. So, I, I feel like it's it, it's just weird to me. I feel like it's weird that they give him, at times, especially these high-pressure moments, so low priority in setting him up for a good lane matchup when he's shown he can dominate. Here's the thing, though. At least in those international finals, though, there was actually, like, a form reason to do it. Like, if people don't forget, Bin was actually terrible before that final in MSI. He was, like, actually mega underwhelming. Obviously, everyone thought King was an actual meme. I still think he is. But somehow he managed to, like, for that one day, just fucking be possessed by the fucking spirit of League of Legends or something and win the game inexplicably on Champions. He doesn't even play. And the, But this one, though, makes no sense at all. Because as you say, like, even though everyone gave the vote to Zayas, like, Kane had a very good split too, mate. He's one of the reasons why really this good. KT team was so dangerous. Like, that's the thing about this squad. It's funny, Monty, that in the end, all that speculation we had about, like, but which would you pick out of, like, KT and Deeper? That didn't even matter. But the joke is, Hanwha just, like, somehow still put the shit up T1. And they still pick KT anyway. There wasn't even D plus available. <laughs> they still picked them. But that's why, though, Monty, I said... Even though I understand that thinking of like, oh, but they're supposed to be the weaker team. Like, this is why you don't want to play against KT in these playoffs, though. They're really dangerous for anyone. What I love is that they almost are like an LPL team, dude. They just go for it. They just go fucking ham this team. They can also <laughs> wreck themselves, of course, but it is amazing to watch. Mix great games. <laughs> I was really surprised that they they picked KT, just given that uh, Keen was, you know, the way that we had just seen T1 kind of dismantle D+, and the way they were playing the last week of competition, was that they were I mean it's the same shit we've seen it's like pick Elise you know go die you know stack a few waves go dive bot lane with Faker and an Elise and get kills onto Gumiushi and let Zayas kind of play Nar in an isolated lane matchup and he'll do really well on his own and arguably win but that's a lot harder to do when you're playing Keen because there was a clear cut between it was like Zayas Keen giant gap everybody else and so, and also Keen plays weird picks. And he's nine and one on Jacks so far of this split. So you just can't give him that, which they knew before. They knew halfway through the second round Robin when the last time they played that, that, that Jax was illegal for Keen to have. But he also does things like play Gangplank and other weird picks. And it was also a little bit strange to me because even though the Jace bans were very prevalent, the Jace fell very far through the draft in game five. And as you mentioned, Ox, the Kennen just went away. 
which uh, it's the same patch that we saw in the last week of competition for LCK where Kennen was like rising to like first pick blue side priority. And this is a Kennen that was buffed pretty significantly on 13.5 and then also benefited from the cosmic drive buffs. And he, he looked good. I mean, it looked like a very powerful champion. Yeah, I feel like it must be like scrim data or something or like some teams have have worked out counters or it just hasn't been performing. But it was like, it seemed like this was like the pick of the patch and the fact that they were willing yeah. to blind it like on blue side and then it just kind of faded away. And the Jace as well, that was a weird one that I saw like in, like I think it was the, the Genji Honwa series as well. Like they, ba so Genji was setting up for a Zeri pick because they banned Caitlyn, Lucian and Varus. And then we were expecting Honwa, like, okay, well, of course you're going to ban Zeri here, right? Because they'll just be one in. And then they didn't. They banned Jace. And we were like, okay, well, that's just grief. And they lost. And then game two, they didn't ban Jace, and no one picked Jace. And it's just like, it's it's so weird. It's like, you know, Jace is his pick where sometimes it's like, we have to first rotation ban this. And then sometimes it's like, okay, well, it hasn't been banned, but no one cares. And it's it's such a weird one because you'd expect, like, you know... Second rotation is completely different because, like, you've seen what the draft is. You might think, oh, this draft is really rough if they have the Jace, or, you know, if they pick a Jace here, it could be a problem because they can flex it. Like, if they pick it on red four, they could flex it between top and mid, but then it just slips through the gap sometimes. Like, I feel like some of the drafts and playoffs in general have been, like, really hard to rationalize because, obviously, like, every time, like, a draft goes through, even if you don't agree with it, you got to think, okay, what are the teams thinking here? Like, clearly there's some thought process, but sometimes I'm like, eh, I don't, I just, I just don't see it. I think I think maybe with the Jace, because the one time we saw it picked in that KT versus T1 series, it was picked in R5. And in when KT was blue side, they banned it first in the first rotation of bands. And then when T1 was was blue side, they banned it in the second rotation of bands. So I, I, it seems like teams really will only like want to save this for R5 um, from just what we're seeing from the blue side, red side drafts. And at least T1 was confident that it wasn't going to be picked in the first three picks, particularly because they were pinching the jungle pool. And I think that forced like jungle and bot lane to be picked pretty much first in the draft. But I'm I'm honestly wondering if because we've seen the rise of um, engaged supports and Rakan in particular, if that if we're if teams are more reluctant to play Jace because he can there's a lot more backline access now with some of the champions that are being played. I mean, we got to see that in game five, what happens when you have the Jace, if you're not careful about having Gragas on your flank and paying attention to it, because Faker's flanks and 100 to zeroing Jace actually got them back in the game. And yes, part of that was Keen positioning very badly, but part of that was T1 realizing a win condition and setting up traps. And they were willing to give over the Jace in that game for the first time it wasn't banned in that series. And they seem to have an answer for it. So I am curious if if increased flanking and increased backline access is actually one of the reasons why Jace isn't being played as much. Yeah, that's that's fair. Like, I think maybe uh, it's kind of like a remnant of when the meta was, like, more heavily around, like, the Varus Ash bot lane, where you are just able to sit back and play poke. Because especially, I mean, T1's draft in that, in that game where you have, like, Rakan, Gragas, Wukong. It's like it's so yeah. easy for the Rakan just to land. Like he oh. eased to come on <laughs> RW. And I also like I remember when like Rakan first came out, that was like back when I was a player, like Gragas Rakan was so broken because like the Rakan would knock up and then the, the Gragas just casts over the top and it's like you're just dead. Like there's like so little counterplay. So I, I guess that makes sense. And I mean obviously worked pretty well to get them back into the game. Yeah, I also, think there's also there's also potentially some truth. Um because Keen had been playing Malphite 
in the previous series that maybe, I mean, I'm actually surprised that KT, if, if Keen, because he had a very good performance on Malphite, if they were willing to, if they were showing Malphite versus Live Sandbox, why not just leave it up and see what happens versus Zayas would be my question. I'm a bit surprised KT didn't at least try that matchup once. Yeah, I mean, maybe maybe part of it was there was a lot of, like, Zaya priority from T1 late in the series. So maybe, like, because I feel like Malphite, like, if you're going to pick it, you obviously don't want to be playing it necessarily into Zaya because sure. you can just ult away yeah. from it. So maybe that's why they end up bringing it out. I was wondering what your thoughts are because we obviously saw, like, blue side winning like all the time um, in playoffs and being picked pretty heavy priority. I do think like generally speaking, blue side is stronger, but I also feel like teams aren't doing a fantastic job of like using red side. Cause obviously on red side, you can pick like support on three, you get top lane counter pick, but it just feels like a lot of teams are just like handshaking, especially bot duos where like yeah. one team will pick like Lucianami, Zeri Lulu, Zyra Khan, and they'll just go, okay, we'll just, you know, we'll handshake a duo. That's just going to, farm up in return and i think there's a lot more like opportunities where you could punish potentially or like pick a more favorable matchup but it feels like teams just aren't like there's definitely been games i feel like one team on blue side have kind of like picked i mean this happened more in the regular season but like they pick a composition where it's like okay we have like an anti-dive comp and then the other team just picks like a short range dive composition into them and like <laughs> like especially i think there was one game where it was like zaya vega and they were like early rotated, and the other team picked like a full melee composition. And I'm just like, okay, I mean, have fun, but it's so weird to me. I, I, I mean, just from the the blue, like the blue pick ones that we've seen, so many of them. So what teams have been doing is that if you're like D plus, you're prioritizing the Lucian because that's been one of your main win conditions, you know, this year. If you're T1. Oftentimes you've been like, for example, in the first game of the T1 versus KT series, you're taking a lease because that empowers your entire kind of win more bot play style. And I think what was, you know, we we got to see that. I mean, that game one was a stomp and it was when they had Lucian, Nami and Elise all at one time. That was, I think, very clearly a mistake that KT made. Like, I would never give T1 all of those champions together in the first rotation of a draft. Um, and KT's bans were, I mean, it was, what were their bands? There was Annie and Annie Varys, Varys and Caitlyn, um, which is also we can talk about Caitlyn because Caitlyn was another champion that kind of fell through this draft after the first game. The Caitlyn was no longer banned and T1 didn't pick it. She did receive minor nerfs, but I, I really don't think they did anything. Um, and uh, yeah, I think I think that teams are either picking an AD carry first or a jungler first most of the time. Um and that's because they want to power up a specific matchup. I think it makes sense. Like, if you are Gen G versus Hanwha, picking Zeri first makes a lot of sense because Pays has been both lane dominant and game dominant on Zeri. And that's one of, I think, Hanwha's only win conditions if it is a Viper like pops off on Zeri. So that made sense to be in that series. Um, and I, I also think that I do wonder, as to your point about blue side priority, because having the red side last counter pick for mid and top which is basically exclusively what it's used for these days does seem extremely valuable especially if you can just pick kind of a stable bot lane and and go even yeah i think i think it's just like i don't know i don't know if it's like teams not being confident to make use out of it or it's just like that there aren't picks in the meta that wanted to utilize because i i still like if i was a team in this meta i would still pick blue side it just feels like when teams are on red side it's almost like they're not doing much uh, it's kind of like they're accepting, okay, we're on red side, this one's a loss, we'll go next, we'll give it a try, but we'll go next game. Like, I, I just feel like sometimes the drafts end up going in that direction when they could be doing more. I also, I mean, speaking of the DK Honra 
series. I found that one like let's go get a second. Wait, 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 wait. Listen, <laughs> I appreciate that you nerds actually do watch a best of five like that and think, oh, but, and, what, and then go, wow, wasn't it a great game? Yeah, what the fuck was going on on R three? I mean, I thought you know would be on the other side. <laughs> then you want right? You're like you all acted like it was a great chess match, right? That game five was absolute nonsense. What the fuck was that game? Was, all you need yes. to know is this, right? That game five was so ridiculous. It produced one of the greatest LS thumbnails you'll ever see. If you're on YouTube now, pull up Ellis's account three days ago. The video for his like commentary when he cuts it down like the highlighted version by the way it's quite cool he does it like those NFL ones where they shorten it like you get a whole series in like 50 minutes right on this one it's the next level game 5 so he does the whole game 5 and it just says right here's the thumbnail the thumbnail just says insane series telecom war so already you're like oh okay but because it's LCK <laughs> when you go insane series you expect it like you know the kill thing will be like 11 to 7 like oh my god the macro <laughs> but no it has the kill feed at the top it just says 33 to 27 kills so you already know like what the f is this the LPL, right? And then it just has LS going at this, like, oh my god, I can't believe this is the LCK. I've said it, LCK is nothing like this for like seven years. And then on the <laughs> other side, right, Faker, perfect like PR shot by T1 with like some anime pose, like perfect circular glasses, making him look like some like weird anime villain slash protagonist slash antagonist slash genius character who just does whatever he wants with plot armor, going shh. It's the only game. It's so it's so insane, man. It looked, like even that alone, I want to click it. And I already saw the game. Like that game was on the on one hand, one of the most entertaining but most nonsense games I've ever seen in the LCK Monty. Like, even if T1 wins now, the problem is all that shit we were talking in this, but like they're one of the most dominant teams of all time. Like, that was so whack that series ending, though. They could have lost that for real. I mean, they also could have won about twice I, as well. I mean, they should have lost. <laughs> they should it. actually, and, yeah. Uh, there's I mean uh, that was the early game was a complete fucking disaster for T1. Yeah. Like falling that far behind against the composition that team that uh, KT was running should have been basically a death sentence. And, you know, I think we learned a lot about both KT and T1 in that series. Like T1 was really trying to overforce um, plays to get back into that game. The hilarious thing was it eventually worked um, out of pure desperation uh, it did work. <laughs> and I guess I respect that about T1 a lot, which is like, are we 5K gold behind? Well, yes, we should do a 21-minute Baron um, like, and, and like, like force yeah. that play. It's like the MLXG meme from the LPL where it's like, uh, but he's 5K gold behind. He feels like they're at a disadvantage, so he has to make plays. <laughs> when the gold stays even, he feels like he has to make plays to get themselves an advantage. And when he's <laughs> an advantage, he has to make plays because they're at an advantage. So it, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was great. Um, and I, I think like what we saw from KT was a lack of experience playing poke comps, because one thing that's true about yeah. KT is they haven't been playing a lot of poke comps, you know, and I, I've talked a lot about this with the strengths of T1. T1 is very good at reading enemy team win conditions. Very good. And they will set traps and map states that cause enemy teams to make mistakes with their own compositions and doing that Baron and forcing the all in with fake, like Faker sitting on that flank to target Keen to Mark Keen and get him out of that fight because he's where most of the gold was at that point in time was really fucking smart. Uh, it was great. And I think both Faker and Caria, I mean, Caria's backline access on that recon, that game was also fucking nutty. Like he was doing a whole lot of work in CCing the backline. But they knew exactly what KT had to do to win that game and to pull, you know push out their advantage. Now, did KT also play badly? They absolutely fucking did. By the um, way, that moment, Monty, when like aiming was just walking up the middle and like 
like a, like a, a little Heidi in the fucking Swiss Alps, like, off to milk the cows. And then they just <laughs> zoomed in on him to assassinate him, like instantly like that. that <laughs> mate, that's why KT can't win series, fake. Because the problem is, Eamon can absolutely win you the whole thing, but he also just do stuff like that every now and then. I don't even I, know what that is. <laughs> I mean, there, there were just, there were a lot of problems that obviously caused this scenario to occur, and they had every opportunity to win. They also just got mega baited by like going back to try and save their inhibitor yep. at that last Baron. Like, yep. why are you sending two people back to your base? You know, there are both teams have two teleports up. If they try and teleport yep. in the game, you can just teleport and leave the mo Katie, The most important thing for you is to get that Baron. It is not to save your inhibitor from some minions. You can actually just get the Baron or poke them off the Baron and then you know, it doesn't matter if you lose their inhibitor. They have an inhibitor that's gone too. Like if you have a poke composition that needs to get position and deal damage up front, you cannot send two people back and then think you're going to TP in and win a fight because you haven't done the damage in advance that you need to do with that theme comp. Like Dude, it's not played properly. Between this and the fucking G2 Fnatic game, like teams need no joke to do like theory sessions on endgame, things like this. Like what's the basic principle at play here? Because teams are just doing, this is like solo queue player. Like and we're not going to go into the LEC much, but like in that game there, that was just like the Fnatic players taking turns to just one man hero, like expecting the fucking neck. It's like, guys, all you have to do is just team fight. You just won the whole game. So it's the same thing, Monty. Like well, I hate it, especially when you have a team not even doing one plan. Like you're doing both plans, but, so they don't work like you say like do one or the other like kt has been playing five you know front to back five versus five team like team fighting comps or they've been playing pick comps with with twisted fate um and these types of champions and so like i just think that they were not prepared for the win conditions and like you can ask okay well why did they pick the jace last i mean it was evident the jace was very strong for them in the early game they got huge edges off of it yes. but when you when you were i mean they all in really badly at that first baron too where it, it, the thing is they lost their heads it's not even it wasn't even key to stop t1 from doing baron the key was okay we're going to slow we're to slow roll this into the pit if they get Baron, we'll just kill them all in the pit. Who the fuck cares? Like you could, you literally could just trap them in there with Jason Talia, like to BDD's wall where he jumps into the back of the Baron pit and just ints. It's just, it's just terrible. They freaked out because they saw this Baron being taken, but it was nerves. I mean, Dom made this point on Power Spike where it's like, if they're not playing T1, they probably don't play like shit. I, I think they were actually oh, just like freaked out because they were almost about to beat T1 and they had this huge edge in the fifth game of a series. Yeah, I completely agree. I feel like it definitely, like, nerves are a big thing. I also feel like a lot of people expect T1 to kind of be unwavering, but there were, I mean, obviously, I've talked a bit about Zayas, but like Gumi, you see, had some moments. Like, there was one point where. Oh, you mean the uh, all LCK. First team pro <laughs> Gumi Yusi, best ADC in the entire LCK. Continue. Sorry. Continue. Yeah, yeah, just, just okay, glad so, you got that out. Um, just, just to get that out there. Yeah, no. It was like a right. moment when like they were pushing up and they were gonna end, and then like he gets Nautil assaulted as Zaya, and like you see the Nautil assault coming, and he just doesn't Zayel and just like immediately dies. And like it's the one where I think aiming gets like a quadra kill to yeah. finish it off, and he's like the only person left. And I like I remember I saw it and I watched it back. I was like. Well, I, I, was, I thought his ult was up, and it was up, and he just, like, tanked the Nautil. Like, Dude, what's wild about that is usually the Zaya's fucking way too trigger-happy on the ult. Just yeah. to get out of it, you know, they use it like a flash. Like, get the fuck out. Like, that is ridiculous, isn't it? Let's do nothing. Yeah, I mean, I, I especially because, like, you were close range to threats. I think, like, after the ult hit, like, Varus queued, and then Jace also jumped on it, but she'd already died to the Varus cube. It was like, 
uh, definitely just like nerves or I don't know. I because I feel like no way you you sit there and think, oh, I can tank this. It's like uh, it was it was a weird game. I think is is the way you can definitely summarize it. And I think obviously in those moments, especially like you were talking about like the the theory and like the late game. I feel like part of the problem is like you're inherently always going to practice early game more because like a lot of games yes. will end. After the yes. early game, and a lot of teams like T1 are like super practicing it, but also like I mean I know in EU scrim culture it's like one team would get ahead and that like 15 minutes you go okay I mean not even 15 minutes like 10 minutes it's like one team's like four and zero and it's like okay game's over go next scrim you know you just move yeah. on to the next one and I feel like part of the problem is like a lot of teams don't end up like practicing the full yes. game or how to close out a lead so they become very good at getting leads but then when it comes to these moments where it's like okay we have a poke comp that's super far ahead we have to close out against a team with a ton of engage options they can kind of like not be as practiced at that and we start to see some of the cracks imagine if like teams could have ah oh, fuck what would you even like sort of like a second team fuck shit what that sort of like if you analogized <laughs> it'd be like a sister team you could be in the same org though what you do though you wouldn't want people to think it was just one team you'd maybe call them like different names like one could be like t1 the other one could be like t2 oh, shit i'm getting all i'm getting lost here anyway so if you, had, letters, just, you know hypothetically like, like yeah, yeah a or s you know exactly yeah <laughs> basically in you know you know before lck there wasn't any before lck there's always just been lck we've always been in lck <laughs> but if hypothetically there was a before lck maybe call it ogn or something fuck who knows get crazy so right anyway someone they could even have good casters on it you know nowadays they sort of go for the budget options but you know times are hard so oh, sorry, <laughs> we call that austerity measures but anyway so wow. basically <laughs> When you when you to do that, then you could actually set this up and practice against them in exactly whatever kind of scenarios you wanted. But the problem is, some people called checks notes Riot Games. They decided no. So oh well, <laughs> that ends that segment. So back to the game. Yes, shall we look? Aren't we? Uh, I I do I do think though that one thing that hasn't really been discussed in this series is that the way T1 played that draft was very good, and I think that in an even game state, KT would have really struggled to win that game, um, not only because of the fact that they don't know how to play poke compositions, it would appear, but because they, we saw how well Faker and Caria played those flanks in the backline access. And frankly, the Rakan made it look quite easy to the point that we were talking about earlier about maybe why Jace has been deprioritized to a certain degree. Um, now, why Kennen has been deprioritized, that one is a little bit more mysterious to me, <laughs> I have to say. I'll have to think more about why why that might be. Um, but I've just always think... thought, mate, so many, so that's another champion that so few pros actually are good at, like in the team context. In the oh, yes. day, month. You know what I mean? Like they can do like the lane, but like the amount of times people just mess up all that at the ult as well, and never use it properly or never group properly. Sure. It's, it's criminal, isn't it? Yeah, I've seen like the the big moment, like the the one against G two when it was was a smeb with like one shot yep. all of them. Like Jesus, I, six worlds. I swear, hilarious. this champion does so much damage in oh, late it's mega, game. Isn't it? If you if you find like a single yep. good flank, it's just over. Yes, hence why it doesn't ever feature in the LCS and never will. There isn't even a champion called Ken. What are you talking about? <laughs> um, LCS meta is very amusing. Well, um, <laughs> it it honestly like. I, I, just as a sidebar, watching these LCS playoffs and then watching some of these games, these playoff matches in Korea is just, it's such a giant 
giant. Dude, yeah. what I love is this. Even though it's even though that's more ridiculous because obviously LCS is even worse. Why my favorite one is this. You know, I've revealed on this show, if people know the deep law, famously, right? Monty, because he is someone who comes from like a theater background, he understands improv and he also is an amiable guy. He has a laugh he does where he doesn't really think it's that funny, but he just thinks it deserves a comedy laugh slash a reaction. You make a good vibe, you make the show better, right? Basically, it's why I'm a bit of a twat when I just don't laugh at other people's jokes. I go, whatever, just didn't really feel it, mate. It's whatever. I'm just a bit of a I'm a bit of a little scorer as mentality, you know, I'm not a pass first type of guy. So when Monty does that, I've always said though, you know Monty's real laugh. Because if I ever properly get him, he has one where he goes, it's just obvious. It's so different as well. It's got nuance to it. Basically, you can tell how good the LEC cast is. I didn't know how good Cadrill actually is, Monty, until I watched part of the highlight for this on his stream, right? Because when you watch him do the LEC, he gets really passionate, doesn't he? He's excited, he's into the games. But I'll tell you what, when he doesn't have the cameras on and he's doing his own live view of a game like that, the authentic like he is actually in the game mate. he's not even commentating he's so excited he's drawn into its emotions and all I'm going to say is like he's, he's really fucking good on the LEC the way he puts on that face you know the way he <laughs> pumps that fake enthusiasm up go on this is it's the best we got right guys there isn't an LTK let's go for it because mate you see it because bringing it back though I think Dom's actually finally nailed it Monty you know everyone thinks Dom's just a hater well you know what Within his hatred, he has crafted, I actually think, an epiphany about the LCS. And when he said it, I think he's right, dude. He's actually right. If you've seen enough of those LCS playoffs, we used to just blame it on stuff like, they just don't know how to play against Bjergsen Zillion or like, what the hell? Why are they picking like this one champion over and over? It's not even like, for example, last last year where like they didn't just play any of the strong ADCs. People were just playing like busted down like fucking Caitlyn and Seraphine or whatever, right? Dom's theory is people don't know how to actually punish comps in the LCS. So that's why you actually are probably just at your best, just playing whatever suits you, whether it's meta or not, oh, yeah. whether it's a niche bit. Just if, if it's a champion you're good on, this is the thing. If their natural champion and comp counters yours, they'll win. But they won't like do things like we're talking about now when you guys broke down for 20 minutes. Like, right, well, you're playing against a port comp, so you've got to understand when he can be caught. No, 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 that, no one's thinking about that. Like, the team with the port comp wouldn't be thinking that in the LCS. The team playing it wouldn't be thinking that. What they'd be thinking, Monty, is like, I have Darius. I hope to get solo kills on Darius this game. And then they're like, and if you get a lot of solo kills, you could join us on Darius and we could all fight them 5v5 at the Baron. It's like, it can't be <laughs> 10 years of this. Like, bro, if we're talking here's the joke right we should bring it back orcs and be like they almost need like somewhere to practice any moment of the map of the game in the lcs so, you know from like minute one through to even minute 10 maybe have a dragon i mean what's going on are they all just fucking with crayons eating their own shit oh, hello what's it's it's the madhouse monty i've got to see some evolution of the better in like 10 years 10 years I think, I think that's what's amazing about lcs is that it just, you know, at least with Europe, at least oh, with mate, Europe, it's like that highs, Matthew McConaughey you know? thing. And dude, I feel like Matthew McConaughey and fucking dazed and confused. Like, you know, Monty, life's crazy, man. The older I get, the LCS just stays the same age, man. Same age. All right, all right, all right. Like, what the fuck is this? Ten years, I'm in the fucking purgatory. It's Groundhog's Day. And I see my little thing. Oh, time for the LCS again. It's Bjergsen playing. Oh, shit, he's on Zillion every game. Fuck. I'm like, is this hell? Please, get me out. I'm sorry I said all that stuff about TS7 Riot. Well, the chrono shift is really just the the symbol yeah. of, of the LCS. It's like they die only to be resurrected again in infinity. Right, they're just they're Prometheus getting their <laughs> liver eaten the by the eagle every day. Okay, <laughs> that's the dark law of the LCS. <laughs> and then every day, double if just wakes up. You know what? 
I don't think spring split matters. It's like, well, you certainly showed us that, homie. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, I, I, you know, even Europe has been punctuated by some really high highs and oh, like sure. very, genuinely very exciting teams, yeah. uh, you know, going all the way back to the beginning with with Moscow five and like CLGEU. And then. Obviously, we've seen teams like Fnatic and G2 make world championships and win MSI and do all these wonderful things internationally. And for NA, there's just there's just never been any hope that's not fake hope. <laughs> that's it. You know, there was actually there was that one bit of hope. You remember when they beat IG at MSI and they had like a day's worth of hope, and then they got beaten in the <laughs> oh, fastest yes. best of yes, true. Exactly. I, I think yes. that honestly makes it worse because like it built them up so much. So like, oh, we're finally a good region, yeah, right? Yeah. We finally have some respect, and then just gone in a, in a second. No, that's how you know, by the way, that they definitely did some dark magic. Like that was like some shit where you like sell your soul in exchange for winning the game. Because afterwards, right, you're like, oh, amazing! I can't believe I won the game. And it's like you hear like a like a sound in the distance, like. What, what, what's that sound? It's like, time to paint the piper, you're sold. It's <laughs> torn apart by, that was ridiculous. Like the way that that was the fastest one of all time as well. <laughs> you, know, you know, I'll never understand about that. I'll just explain a small concept that I told a load of pros back in the day in Counter-Strike and none of them ever listened to me, which is this. You know, if you're ever watching a Counter-Strike frag movie and someone's doing an amazing clip and four people run in and they just get their heads domed in, why does the fifth guy still run in? Like, you know what I mean? Like I've always said, if I'm the fifth guy, my number one, like I can't win the round anymore so my number one goal is you're not getting me in your movie like i'm gonna go and i'm gonna be killed by your teammate at mid like you know the rotator so i've always thought in that scenario like why did they just set themselves get wrecked like that come on man like if you if you're losing the record game i'd even look it up after game two like look i know it's fucked up coach but what is the record you know we're getting stuffed right now oh it's like 50 minutes you know what guys right pick uh scaling complex which can sit in the lanes all under the tower like still he's making exactly just delay the game for fuck's sake at least don't be the record because here's the problem and that was the MSI final. No one's ever going to be able to beat that record in an international final, are they? Like you could maybe do it like a quarters or something. In an actual final, no one's ever going to lose like that. You're, the problem is this, right? It's so rare and is being in finals. You get to one and just, well, got to break a record somewhere. Like that's the worst <laughs> record to ever have. You'll never, they'll never be beaten. The so thing is, they can, it. so they can never bring it up. They can never bring it up because it's like, oh, we be IG. <sighs> yeah, but then, you know, like every time you bring up that MSI, they've got to just forget about it. They can't mention it. Otherwise, I'll no, just that's get what kills me as roasted. well, dude, because the other thing is, like, that was obviously, like, on paper, what an amazing accomplishment. It's like the reigning world champion, the LPL champion. But the problem is, right, everyone who wants to make the case, like, wow, give TL their credit. It's like, you know, that rumor that IG was, like, having internal issues and fighting and all shit. There's, lo there's loads of rumors out, but I will say there are, are also those rumors about every channel. Chinese team ever eliminated earlier worlds MSI it's also part of it so I could believe some of it some of it sounds like an excuse the problem is when you then watch them turn around and lose like that you're like maybe there was something to those rumors it actually even, even you start like gaslighting yourself like did it even happen though did they really ever beat them fucking hell it's so outrageous isn't it I can't even believe that not least because no, you don't know if they're bothered mentioning that would have been an amazing final being as G2 bizarrely just never beat LPL teams. I want to see that final. Can we go back and just watch that final, please? There's some I would change in history. I'd just like to see the final, dude, like IG against G2 in a proper best of five. It'd be amazing. Yeah, I feel like we missed out. We were <laughs> denied. That, that's the lasting legacy of NA, just denying us enjoyment. <laughs> exactly. Even in giving <laughs> us a series, they had to steal another one, a better one from us. Exactly. All right.
Are, are we done with our MA sidebar? Yeah. <laughs> uh, do you have? Uh, oh, by the way, Monty, I have a very quick, very quick sidebar off that though. Here is okay. the sidebar. You know what's weird? You're all going to think, come on, this is the easiest setup of all time, right? Thor and the Monkey are going to absolutely dunk on Latigris, right, for that weird commentary where she thought the dragon went down, but it hadn't gone down. She kept commenting, and then she sort of didn't acknowledge she was wrong until they sort of told her. Here's why we're not going to do that, because Monty actually did that himself. It just can happen in a cast. Monty famously yeah. had one where he thought, because a baron went down, that actually shy with like a sunfire kit, but actually hit it with the last <laughs> tick. It was just a famous one where he had a brain fart. And it and the problem with that, Monty, I actually thought for real, like, obviously, look, it really did sound like a bad moment on the street when she did this. And look, yes, in the modern day, people already have got all the fucking scrutiny in the magnifying glass to criticize them. But I just wanted to actually ask you that, Monty. If you're in the middle of a cast like that, remember in League of Legends, there's a million things you can talk about in a baron fight, in an objective fight, like people flanking, what's the gold, what's the significance of the drag? It's easy to get lost. And the thing I think people don't understand is this, Monty. You can't just go, oh, pause, rewind. I didn't, you have to sort of like, in a way, try and keep going. And almost, yes, and the thing you said, wrong and, and turn the ship and start to realize if you're i just thought i want to ask you about that because i think it's not it's a lot there's more nuance to that than people realize it's not as simply she's an idiot like i think she so, just got lost in something and then kept following her own narrative if you know what i mean you can't know too if there's like some weird thing distracting you like there could always say be something you're or something, yeah the producer talking to you you don't yep. fucking know um i will say that obviously and and ox can talk to this as well live commentary you will inevitably be wrong that's just how it rolls. Like you're going to fuck up because you are basically taking here. Here's the analogy. You are taking an oral exam as a caster on an extremely strategically complex game in front of a hundred thousand, a million people who are all capable. You know, one of them will probably there are going to be so many people who are watching this game that know better than you about every single aspect of the game because somebody's going to be that fucking cled one trick that knows more about cled mechanics yes. right and some so like you are going to fuck up uh inevitably right it is just such a super complex game i mean the pro players are the same way they fuck up all the time right they're even the pro players are, if they if you're not a cled one trick you're not going to know as much of as a cled one trick that's why pro players go when they want to learn to do champion they go to even talk to those does. one tricks <laughs> yeah, yeah, they all do yeah. it <laughs> they all do it um and so it's really, really difficult because not one human being is going to know anywhere close to the total amount of information at this game. So you have to kind of play to your strengths, right? And it is just inevitable. Now, here's what I will say about Latigris is this. As a play-by-play -play caster, one of the theories of play-by-play -play is that in traditional sports, there is a ball or there is a center point of action that is self-explanatory and is easy for the audience to follow. In most esports, uh, I would say Counter-Strike is a little bit different because there's a bomb, and so you kind of know where the bomb is at any point in time. So that is the... It, and you have a radar another, so you can see where they're going to fight yeah, or whatever. Yeah, it's also like another reason why Counter-Strike is the best esport because it yeah. actually does a lot of the, the work for you. Like what Counter-Strike does is everybody knows what it what's going on because it's all real world weapons and that everybody knows right you don't have to be a video game fan to understand it's easy to explain the the cadence of the game is in rounds so there's time to like break it down and do replays and try to like properly narrate the action the the act the the focal point of the action naturally winnows down over the rounds so you always get the exciting moment at the end of the round where it's very clear where the camera should be for the most part obviously like 
mistakes are made, but um, League of Legends doesn't have that. You know, MOBAs don't have that. RTS doesn't have that. Battle Royale certainly doesn't have that. Um, and so back to the ball analogy, the purpose of a play-by-play caster is to provide the ball. And that is a very fucking hard thing to do. Um, I've done play-by-play casting in League of Legends. I would consider myself passable, but yeah, by no good. means good. <laughs> well, thank you. I would say by no means good, um, especially compared to the the wonderful play-by-play casters that we have. But I think one of the issues with Latigris is that she doesn't know what where the ball is, uh, metaphorically. And so it becomes very difficult to parse what is going on in team fights. And I think that is the true fundamental skill of MOBA, of MOBA play-by-play casters. And to, you know, when we're talking about Latigris, I think it's just deeply unfair that the broadcast has had her basically do every fucking role on the yeah. show so she can never actually get comfortable or good or develop synergy in any one of these things. Now, my personal opinion is, is that she's probably weakest at casting. And like, I'm not super excited to see her cast, especially when we have people like Captain Flowers. Like, I mean, that's that's a hard comparison, right? Sure. But it just, you know, when we're talking about these playoff matches, you know, if it's if it's a random regular season match, then fine. Like, maybe give her some reps. Like, it's not too bad. But, like, playoff matches, like, maybe let's not do that. Um, I mean, you know it's what I'm saying, Ox, is while you're out there, you think you're just going to cast, like, great Korean players. By the time you finish, I want to be able to put a coin in, press F12, like I just did with Monty. And then I want a whole five-minute breakdown of, like, a concept abstractly in esports <laughs> with no, like, ums, ahs. Like, you're going to perfect diction. You're just going along. It's almost like a fucking karaoke, just following the words of the bouncer ball. This is fucking <laughs> insane. And at the end, you just cap it. And then you uh, uh, do you have any thoughts there, Ox? Did, uh, do, you, do you want to jump in with anything? Yeah, I mean, I just want to say that I agree. <laughs> um, there you go. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like that's something when I was earlier on in casting, I always had an issue with. It's not you like must have had safe. some LPL games where there was some crazy fight where you can't possibly see what's going on and you don't know who smited it. And, you know, there's, there's, there must be some crazy scenarios that happened to you before. There's, I honestly, like, I'd say something I think one of my strongest points as a caster is I'm pretty good at tracking what happens in team ah, fights. All right. Um, what, what would you say the secret to it is then? I'm watching a lot of team fights. Uh, I used to when, when right I then, right. it's from that school, guys. Okay, yeah, that's that's he can't that's that's one off. You know what? I set myself up for that one. Fuck like, like, God, then. You know, I, I used to I used to compete as a player, which helped. But also, like back yeah. back in like 2016, 2017, when I was when I was not even competing as a player, but whenever I woke up in the morning, I just used to watch like you know those highlight channels of like LC, LCK and LPL. Yeah, and yeah. I just watched like every game, and it was just it's just, like the highlights, just like the fight. So I just watched yeah. team fight after team fight after team fight after team fight, and like it helps you sort of pick out. I mean, that wasn't like I wasn't doing this because I wanted to cast because at that time because I had no idea I'd be being a caster. I just did it because I found it interesting. And then I think it's like as well, like it's a game knowledge thing, like understanding like what's the pivotal pieces. I think something that like can really help as a color caster to help out your play by play is like you can say. You can like highlight something like going into the fight. You say like, okay, this is the thing you need to watch. Or like, watch for this based on the flank. Or like, this is the target they need to take down, and that can yes. like help set them up if the if they are someone who's struggling a bit on like uh, focusing on the key moments. Someone who I think is like really good at that is like Medic. I think who's okay. a play by play who has a lot of game knowledge as well. But also like when I when I watch team fights, obviously I'm sitting like at home watching like the LEC. He will catch things that I feel like often go unnoticed in his okay. first watch through. Because I think what normally happens is like a play-by-play will highlight the 
the main story of the fight and then like colors will be able to pick out like maybe key moments or sometimes if they don't catch it they'll like notice in the replay but medic does a really good job of like picking out like oh there's like this small interaction like they interrupted a dash with this ability and he'll like yeah. he'll like call it live which is like really cool to see because it, it is it's a super hard skill and I, I feel like it's one of these things that just come with ridiculous amounts of practice you know what, Monty? Maybe he has already got the Korean vibe. He did just give like Faker-esque advice there as to how you yes. improve. He was just like, um, practice <laughs> with diligence and make consistent <laughs> gradual improvements. Like, thanks, Faker. <laughs> <laughs> I actually Play do get what he means there. Like, here's because here's the thing: when he says that, he actually didn't mean that as like frivolous advice. When he said, think about it, he did just give you literally the secret, by the way, after the joke, which was he essentially just pounded his brain with a like, constant stimuli of team fights, so that what happened is even his unconscious just picks out like the patterns and sort of gets a sense of where they are. It's why, by the way, I've always thought the number one mistake they make in League of Legends highlights films to this day is they don't do what someone once did. Like, I'm no joke, back in 2014. If you make a highlight clip, you've got to do that thing where each new clip, you pause the frame a second, quickly put like a circle or a square over the person who does all the kills, and then you play the clip. Because the joke is like, that's why also these scenarios are so hard to do. Even when you know what happens, it's confusing all the stuff that goes on. I've always thought League of Legends has a big problem with visual noise anyway, you know, so I don't play it. By the way, that's aside from whether you're a good caster. I've just wanted to bring this topic up because I just thought people don't realize how hard it is to be a caster. Yeah. They all think I, they just go on and just say what's happening. It's like, it isn't that easy, guys. Yeah, and also, I mean, it's it's also just things that you can and can't do when you're casting even as a color caster. So for, an, for as an example, I haven't been doing my bangers only for the last couple of weeks because I've been working on a lot of stuff with LFN on the business side. And, you know, it's very hard for me to put out my streams for those of you guys who have been enjoying it when I have like, you know, I'll have like an hour and then like a call scheduled and then like an hour and then another call scheduled. So like I can't stream even though because my day is just so like fragmented at this point in time. I am hoping that we will be, you know, in a better place soon to do that because I would rather be doing that, frankly. <laughs> um, it would be a lot less less stressful. But uh, the point is, is that when I do bangers only, I say, here's what, you know, especially when we watch Gen G games, I say, here's why you guys have bought, you don't understand why Gen G is good. And part of the, the most Monty-esque beginning to any segment, by the way, <laughs> Everyone, my audience, here's why you condescendingly just don't understand what I understand. But but of luckily, course. though, I will like, a, uh, you know, like a kind page, I will allow you to, to yes, you, you may plans. sit at my feet and I will explain to you what you just do not know. And maybe, exactly. maybe you never can know, but we will at least attempt a semblance of knowing. Exactly. You, you, you will get a, a glimpse into a single facet exactly. of yes. my knowledge. Um, so, but then, but, but then, avert your eyes. Don't attempt to take any more in, or yeah, it could exactly. overwhelm your your puny brain. <laughs> you, yeah, exactly. You can't see if you tried to if you tried to turn your mind to the full brilliance of Peanut and Chovy and the Godhead. Yes, exactly. You would actually it would be like a a Lovecraftian horror where the it would be far would too vast for the human mind <laughs> okay. uh, to comprehend. You would go insane. You need to uh, have like fucking what is it like Perseus where you have the shield to look and reflect. <laughs> Only look in the reflection though. If you look directly at you say it'll you'll just go mad from not understanding the laning genius and the ability to use Poppy in a macro sense. You think Poppy's just a jungler. No, no, Poppy is the jungle. You know, Poppy's you know coming I mean? out of these playoffs, by the way. I'm very confident. Definitely. That That's gonna be the comfort her. pick. That's the comfort pick game five, man. I'm telling you right now. 
The poppy's coming back. Uh, it came back in the last T1 versus Gen G series. I love the poppy. Anyway. By the way, as an aside, one thing I did want to ask again about LCK. I had one question. No, 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 no. There's a the point. Oh, to my, on. Hold on. There's a the point. Oh, go on. Yeah, go so on. So when I talk about Gen G and just to, to wrap up the point about casting is that people on my stream have asked, like, why don't the casters talk about some of Gen G's objective setups? And I'm like, okay. Well, they happened like two minutes ago. So I, I was like, I have the luxury of watching what happens at an objective and then going back in time and two minutes earlier, watching the teleports come in, watching the wave manipulations and the warding patterns that go in. But as a color caster, if you comment on those things at the time, they may not seem important and they may not, in fact, be important in the long run because you don't know what the effect of those things are going to be. So by the time Genji takes an uncontested Drake because of what they did earlier, it's very hard to talk about that as a caster, even if you know what happened, because you have to cite a bunch of things that people can no longer see. And so you're basically right. just explaining some like weird teleports to minion waves or like... Guys, remember two and a half minutes ago when like they pruned the caster minions off this wave and then it started slow push. And it's like it's honestly fucking boring to most people. Um, and you're like, and that's why they got an uncontested Drake. So I'm like, honestly, like, I don't know if I would be talking about this shit in the context sure. of the game as it's going on. It's too nerdy. It's only shit that you can talk about yes. now. And like yes. maybe the casters didn't even notice these things because there's not. There's the, your focus is elsewhere, right? And we are yes. very specifically, we are going back and watching it multiple times and looking for these things. Um, yes. So even as a color caster, the point is it can be very difficult to to tell the actual story of a game. And I'll just throw this in there as well, in line with what Monty just said as well. We're also replaying a clip over and over and over and over and then and watching every single they did. She's watched it live. <laughs> Didn't have a chance to like do any of this stuff. We can't do some Doctor Strange level shit. Like, oh, you know, after the millionth view, she's really fucking bad at casting. Like, she was doing it live once ever. Like, her yeah. experience was just going in the present, wasn't it? It was pure instinct. <laughs> By the way, the question I want to ask was this. There's a bigger meta question I have for you, which is, obviously, this would have been one of the banger finals that people predict for the main final anyway. Gen G against T1. Maybe we'll get to see it twice even. My question is this. After that KT T1 series, do you have any concerns that actually Gen G might be able to out macro T1? Define concerns. <laughs> <laughs> seems like it should be on the table, right? I mean, that, that makes it seem like I want, I'm biased towards T1, when in fact no, I'm no, biased no, no, towards why? Gen why G. <laughs> okay. yeah. You have any thoughts on the matchup, Box? Yeah, I feel like Genji looked, I mean, there's like, we had that mistake from Peanut on the, on the Elder, but other than that, I think they've looked really solid in the last couple of weeks, and I think KT have kind of made T1 look vulnerable. And I think there's definitely opportunity to punish that. Um, I do think that... Um, I think that... Sorry, I've lost track of my point. That's I great. do think that... Um, How can Genji punish T1? Yeah, I think one if of the things... Macro yeah, if they can have Macro... I think one of the concerns I have for Genji is the fact that I think Keen Zeus was like a, a much more comfortable matchup. I think top lane might be like a big concern. I could see T1 just being too good on an individual level across lanes where like the macro doesn't get a, an opportunity to necessarily play out. I think that's something I have a concern with, even though I think that like oftentimes how Gen G play out the later stage of the game can often be better than T1. I think T1 setup and how they play around fights is really good and their early game setups are really effective. But I think if Gen G can find a way to navigate like 
top lane, for example, then that could potentially set them up to be in a, a good position later on. But I, I don't know. I'm not sure. I think as well, like as much as the KT T1 series, I think with with series like this, especially with a team like T1, sometimes you have situations where you know you're like, oh, T1 got exposed, right? But I think it's also it's also like a positive for T1 because oftentimes when teams aren't really challenged, like they can end up going. Uh, and not being aware of their weaknesses and sometimes having fake data on like what they think is good or what they think is effective. And I think like challenges like this, if you're a team who are good at developing from them, then can often be a positive. Because I think if, if KT play against T1 again, and like I'd say that that's the finals, I don't think it'll be as close as it was this time. I think T1 should come out stronger and as having learned from this. Um, but, you know, I guess we'll see. I mean, by the way, that's why I love having double elimin LCK. I always wanted to know what would happen when you run some of these series back. Whereas yes. if this was the old days of the Gauntlet, like that'd just be it. Like, see you, KT. You know, you had a great chance, but that's it. Bye. You know. <laughs> I mean, I wish we had seen D plus instead of Hanwha Life. Uh, that's true. Uh, at least uh, in the double elimination, because it just feels like KT's going to destroy them, and and then we'll have the top three. Being the joke is, are. Monty. This is exactly why it's a perfect moment, though. Why, if you ever went back and watched all of our coverage of Worlds, you would just think we're haters you would just think why are they hating on this fucking this this drx team that you know they're so plucky like they're, they're coming up with crazy counters they're trying their best they're overcoming yep, deficits yeah. here's why because if they hadn't have won that game five then what we would actually have thought was that could have been gen g against uh, t1 that could have been dab one against t1 that could have been edg against t1 and so the worst thing about we've always said this about underdog upsets i know that it's exciting everyone likes novelty in the moment it's it's something oh i never thought that was possible like everyone came in think this is three one or three zero easy so the idea it's even possible they could have lost but you don't like it when it then means like in this case with the d plus example when the upset happens then Hanwha Life now has to live up to what D-plus could have done against those teams. And unfortunately, <laughs> exactly. they not only didn't, but just ask my mate Viper, he's fully aware they can't. They couldn't <laughs> have won those series. Bro, when you watch that Gen G one, that was like that shit where your little brother can't reach you and you're just holding his head back like he's swinging like that underneath. And you're, you're just doing that anytime you want. Like, you couldn't do anything. Like Viper was just like, can I please play League of Legends? And you, got, and you got game, one you chance. Know, <laughs> you know, in game three, they let them have like one shot yeah, exactly, at them while yeah. they like clowned around yes. for a minute. And then they were like, well, there was your shot, guys. Now, yeah, they back were like, to you know, back to destroying you. <laughs> it wouldn't be sporting to just 3 0. You know what? Viper, you can have one game of League of Legends, right? Are you finished now? <laughs> right, close it down. Shut it down. You know, where's D plus? I want them in that bracket. Exactly. And also, they could have just improved all the Think how many weeks it'll be as we go through the lower bracket, you know? So I think I think what's interesting about Gen G is that they play more of these split push style compositions and you know they they have been focusing on different champion pools. So first off, obviously like they've been playing through Pays a lot. I think Pays was arguably like the MVP of that Hanwha Life series. Uh Zeri is a very high priority pick for them because uh, the similarities between Pays and Ruler are pretty shocking. If you watch Ruler on JDG right now, it's the same shit. You can't let him have the Zeri because yep. he will win the lane, even in lane matchups he shouldn't be winning, dominate, and then scale even even quicker than he should. Um, you know, as for as for the other aspects of this team, like Doran, he did play a game of Jace, but otherwise was really just blind picking Cassante and doing well in all those matchups. And if if Doran pick kind nowadays. Of, you know, opt into Cassante or or Nar picks in the top side, then that's something I think can that can work for yeah, Gen that's G. That's a good idea. Uh, Chovy's still incredibly lane dominant and has a variety of of these picks that he plays that no one else really debuts, and we got to see that again. 
Now, I do think Zeka is quite a bad mid Gragas player, so this is not indicative of what could possibly happen with with Faker in this matchup. But again, we got to see Chovy, and he's picking a first strike LeBlanc, and LeBlanc has been one of his lane bullies that he's kind of gone back to, and whether he's running it first strike or electrocute or airy, sometimes he Q-maxes just to really like abuse certain melee matchups. Um, he's a, he's really able to keep a lot of pressure and escapability um, on that on that mid lane uh, on that mid lane. So there's also the factor that Peanut and Owner don't really have a lot of jungle pool overlap, and we're seeing a lot of jungle bans at this point in time. We saw the Maokai pretty consistently banned by Hanwha Life during that series. Now nobody else is playing Maokai ever since the nerfs, and he is playing it tank now. Peanut, so Peanut. You know, he's threatening on Sejuani, Wukong, um, Maokai, and Vi, and you can't ban all of those. Meanwhile, on the side of T1, owner, as we know, would much rather be playing probably Lee Sin or Elise. Yep. So it's it really is a very different style of play that we're going to see evolving between uh, Gen G and T1. Like, there's a world where the Ari Lissandra matchup becomes really interesting in this, in a best of five, right? Um, because we both know that these these players like to run, you know, Faker and Chovy like to run these champions. We've seen the depth of Chovy's champion pool. He'll play Cassante mid. One of the reasons why Cassante is such a valuable pick for Gen G is because it's um, you know, it's a flex pick for them. Uh, they'll run it. It's mid mad the way he has that. Like, like it's so I, I'll never understand that about Chovy, especially because he's such like a monster CS player. Normally, it's like I don't know if you know this, Monty, but one of the greatest snooker players of all time, Ronnie O'Sullivan, who's actually still like a world champion now. The way he, he's so talented, even though I don't think he's naturally ambidextrous, he just learned also Monty to play snooker with his other hand, and actually in real matches does shots with his other hand and can make them like quite consistently, which is insanely rare for like a snooker player. Like Chovy has some of that. Where, like, for some reason, like, and Roddy O'Sullivan in interviews used to describe, like, his other hand as, like, his mistress. It's like, you know, he should stay faithful to the, the hand that actually, like, he's the best with. But every now and then he has to, like, veer away and have fun, you know, and take a crazy shot. Why has Trophy always had this weird thing where he wants to play, like, fucking tanks and bruises mid? What is that about? Like, bro, you're already cracked as fuck on all the actual traditional mid champions. Like, why do you need to play some weird bruiser in the middle or some melee champion? Like, what the fuck is this, bro? Just stick with your strength. Why? Why is it? Why is all geniuses got to have some weird streak in them like that with just doing some <laughs> bizarre shit? But I agree though, mate. Basically, what you're saying is the you know, casual fan is one thing that will make this series great is not only stylistically that the teams play differently, but their draft and actual what their preferences are totally play to those stylistic differences. And so as a result, in the draft, actually, it's not going to be like we're fighting for the same champions. And so it's more like which of yours do I eliminate? And you're still going to get one of your comps anyway, and I'm going to get one of my comps anyway. And essentially, we're trying to decide what are just the strengths. We're not even battling for the same picks that much probably yeah and it, that's what i think is going to be fascinating especially be great. because yeah yeah you know we know we know that you know we know that t1 loves to kind of you know make these early game bot movements and like go down there get the dive done try and get gumiyushi and carry ahead control early drakes this is, you know, either that or play diving mid with Gragas and Lee Sin and play these aggressive matchups. I don't think that's going to be an option versus Chovy. And I think that, you know, Peanut, he doesn't have the hands that owner does, but he does have very good reads on game states and he does cover lanes very well. 
Um, and he does play kind of better scaling junglers, uh, arguably. So this is a super, super interesting matchup. And, uh, you know, it really could have gone either way the last time these two teams played. And for whatever reason, probably, you know, possibly because of some of the item changes, you know, we are seeing fewer enchanters and then also the 80 carries and the support position. Now, carry is still obviously going to be extremely threatening on picks like Nautilus and Thresh. We've seen how amazing he can be on those. Um, but if they're going to play Thresh, then they're probably going to play Aphilios or Jinx. If they, you know, and that means like, are we going to see Doran on a Malphite in the top lane? That's another option that could come through. So I, I really like Gen G right now. I think they're in extremely good form. Um, and there's just so many ways for Chovy to be successful in the mid lane, whether that, like we said, is playing the Cassante mid. Uh, you know, what other champions have we seen that are a little bit weird? I mean, he's even played Corky this split, right? Yeah. He's played Aurelia. You know, he's played Aurelia. Uh, he's played Yone fantastically well. Um and there's, you know, there's still obviously the Talia that can come through also. So it's it's hard to pin him down in a lot. By the way, I have a question as a sidebar. Why is it that we're all just cool with that? Where we just go, and of course, you know, Peanut, not really a hands jungler anymore. Like, what happened? He used to be a mega mechanically skilled jungler. Is he on some like fucking shit where it's like, oh, I used to be a, I used to be an amazing Olaf until I took a spear to the knee. Like, what happened? <laughs> like, he's only, remember, he's not like 58 or something, guys. Like, is it like some fucking RPG and on his heads up displays? He's just done so many mechanical outplays on Lee Sin. Like, the hands are at like 11%. It's like the, the bar is like flashing red, like regenerate hands, regenerate, but he has to just keep playing legal. Why? Why is hands just gone. I don't buy that, Monty. I think people just <laughs> convince themselves of that because I know obviously mechanics evolve and it's not like everyone can do the insect kick now and all that chance. But like, I, that's one of those weird things because you know Jankos has done the same thing. They've just decided in their head they're not the players who play those champions and they're not even going to try to. And look, I get it that their strength is like experience and that read the map, fill for people like you say, cover. But like, you'd think they'd sort of keep it going on the side a bit, you know, just as a threat every now and then because the problem now is like you said, you do have no threat at all that Peanut will pick those champions. You're not even worried. You know, in fact, he so, wants to go to those so two does. or three ones that he likes. Uh, he does prioritize the Elise. He's he's uh, three and one on Elise, and he actually draws quite a few Elise bands. That has been one of the signature champions of his entire career. He's played a couple games on Lee Sin. He just isn't quite as good at these champions as like Owner is. And I don't think they fit the real emphasis of Genji as a team either. Like, sure. you know, Genji doesn't necessarily need a lot of early aggressive jungler action. Uh, Pays and Delight have been good in lane, but it's mostly about covering for them while they like crash a wave or something like that. But for the most part, they're playing pretty back uh, in their lane because they're playing more for scaling. Chovy can be lane dominant. You know, the advantage of Chovy is that Chovy is so good at laning in the 1v1 that it gives you room to play tank and scaling, like scaling tanky junglers that maybe other mid laners might need more help from their jungler than Chovy does. Uh, Chovy can achieve excellent results doing that. And that that gives, you know, Peanut the opportunity to play these really annoying late game junglers like Maokai and Sejuani that have a lot bigger effect on game state come 25 minutes than an Elise does. Um, so it may just be may just be part of the way the team, you know, is structured. Like they may have realized this about their own strengths. 
I mean, I will say Gen G does look like a very well coached team. I mean, obviously we've already done this narrative, but just the fact that they could lose those players and then reinvent their style, they'd still be really, really good. Probably still the best at macro. Yeah. I, I mean, Scores it goes to show it, that, yeah. yeah, score is killing it. And and Peanut and Trovi and Doran as the veteran voices of the team, particularly Peanut, are really doing a good job of shot calling within the game. And they've really unlocked Pays. And I think what's exciting about Pays is that he's kind of unquestionably the best rookie in the LCK. And there's going to be a very interesting conversation after we see both LCK and LPL playoffs as to whether it is Leave or Pays that is the best rookie in the world in 2023. Uh, they've both been doing absolutely amazingly. I think I'd probably tip it to Pays at this point in time, but you know EDG has been shockingly good, and a lot of that is because Leave has massively overperformed expectations. Oh, for sure. What are yeah, talking about now? I mean, I, I'm still, I'm still hot. My point is, I'm still high on Gen G, and yeah, Hanma Life was easily the worst team, but the the games that Gen G wasn't playing like silly shit, like you know pantheon support with ash 80 carry into blitzcrank which was just fantastically bad um when they were already up to zero and korean teams do this they'll run something experimental if they're highly confident that they're going to win they went back right back to clapping hanwell life in game three of the series it wasn't even close it was very very clean um this this matchup between t1 and genji i think it is possible for t1 to lose this matchup in the current meta it is it's rough like it, here's why I need Gen G to go to MSI, Monty. Because there's someone like this is like a nightmare at this point in time. So I've watched Knight for all these years and I've just seen him go to like that one whack semi of worlds and it was just play against JDG, not Sooning rather, and just lose it's LPL team. Then if you go back with Trophy, he's gone to all these worlds, goes to the playoffs, just plays other Korean teams, goes home. Like, can I please just see these fucking guys play in a series? In a national, like, I come from Counter Strike, I would have seen this by now, it would eventually have happened. Like, can I please just see Knight against Trophy in a best of five? Can I have that, please? They've only both been in position, by the way, for about fucking four straight years. Once ever in my life, can I watch that series, please? I'm not asking too much, am I? I mean, bummer that top esports <laughs> is underperforming so thoroughly because that also means that yet again we will likely be denied. Probably. We are going to have this mate. rookie. Fuck yeah. my life. Man. They look like frauds. <laughs> Probably are going to be denied. It sucks, doesn't it? There's just certain players. Just, just like it's almost like they're they're magnets, but it's the opposite polarities. They're just pushing apart. They can never meet. It's ridiculous, isn't it? <laughs> we'll just find out later, like, Knight and Chovy just are the same person with, like, a fucking, like, you know, glasses or something like that. That's going to have to be something like that, isn't it? Like, what's going on? Has anyone ever seen these guys in the room at the same time? It's ridiculous. <laughs> the joke is, like, what he does is this, Monty. This is how you know it is the true, like, Clark Kent. Because you know the whole premise? It's actually explained at the end of one of those Tarantino movies, Kill Bill, that in a fucked up way, you can view Superman actually as, like, a condescending view of how an alien would see humans. Because when he discovers disguises himself look at how pathetic and servile and like a, like has no cat he has just a coward you know a fool a boar like a buffoon that's who he decides to mask himself as so he can fit in monty into society <laughs> instead of being superman like essentially like a godlike fucking uh, like apollonian character who and uh, embodies the spirit of the sun and vitality you know so like basically in that scenario yeah it's mental mate it's been just ridiculous so i think here's the here's the analogy Chovy 
His disguise in the LCK, he's just a boring LCK player. He just gets all the CS, just plays like totally. Obviously, if the, if the jungler helps him, he helps. Or he's just CSs, sidelines. Then he goes to the LPL. He's only team fighting, mate. He's just crazy team fight. That's his wild side he lets out when he gets off the... That's when he takes off the fucking mask, mate. He just unleashes <laughs> his side problem. That's why you've never seen them, because it's the same person. So he has to play... The problem is this, guys. He has to play both sides of the bracket every Worlds. So obviously, he has to go out of one <laughs> side really early so he can put his efforts on the other side. I've there cracked it. There, there we go. You figured, I got there in the end. <laughs> <laughs> Got there in the end. I going there. Um, but yeah, I you know, I, I think I think with with this bracket, like I at least in LPL, I would be excited to see JDG and EDG. Possibly, you know, LNG is an outside shot uh heading to MSI. I don't really know who I want from Korea to go. Like, obviously, the matchup, like the 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 matchups between T1, Gen G, JDG, and EDG would all be fascinating because they're all extremely different teams from one another. Um, I do think the Korean teams are a cut above the Chinese teams at the moment from watching this gameplay. But the thing about the LPL is you never really know until LPL playoffs because they play so many fucking games and so many of the games are just trash versus bad teams that teams really don't put all of their effort into the regular season. So we'll see if, if JDG can tighten things up in, in their playoff run. We're not going to get to see them play until, you know, a couple weeks from now. So they also have a lot of time uh, to prepare and kind of ramp up into that form. And uh, with the star player, the star power on that roster, you'd think they would be fiercely competitive at an international event. The problem I have is this. For LCK, I'm torn. Because in the LCK bracket, I love seeing KT do these upsets and cause these crazy matches. But I actually feel like if they ended up representing Korea, there's also a world where they could just mega shit the bed. It just looks so stupid in some BO5. You I, don't, I, I don't think so with this KT roster. I really don't. And the, the reason is, is because... It's because of the dimensionalization that we've seen since halfway through the second round robin. I've talked about this a lot, but those defeats that they suffered, um, what was it in, let me look, week five, it was the it was the week that they got completely bodied by T1 and D+. Uh, no, it was week six, I believe. Yeah, it was week six. Before they did the big streak, yeah. Yeah, it was week six. Um, and they were really exposed for being somewhat one-dimensional and then they came back they they rallied back from that week and then the very next week they started showing off all these pick compositions that they hadn't played before and i think the scary thing about kt's pick comps is they're not they're not the same as what t1 does with a pick composition like t1 is the pick composition that comes in off the screen like it's like a combination of pick and poke um, the thing about KT is that they will get expansive vision of an area. And then what they'll do is they will pick a bunch of champions with single target CC. So it'll be the Twisted Fate. It will be the Jax. It will be the Vi. Um, these types of picks. And then, you know, with a, with a support that can lock somebody down, right? Um, even even 80 carries that can that can provide some single target CC, right? Like a Varus. Uh, and they will, we saw this in the T1 series, but if you think you are fighting them in a front-to-back team fight, they will find one point of CC on your front line and then they will 100 to zero you. Like we saw this with Zeus's Nar, where he would get, he was just standing in the front line about to turn Mega Nar. He got hit by one piece of CC. And by the time the CC was over, he was just fucking dead. 
And then it's just like, oh, I guess we have a 5v4 now. So it's about with with KT, it's about their decisiveness and ability to chain CC from one of their players into the next CC that that player has. And everybody focusing that guy down instantly. And I think that that style would be extraordinarily punishing on the West because you cannot fuck up your spacing one time and they're able to do this to T1. They're okay. able to win games against T1 by doing this. That's why, I mean, they won all the TF games. Oh, they could have won played. the series for sure, yeah. yeah by the I mean, way, I have a question though. Games, you know? Do you not have any concerns about Cos? No, not particularly. Um, I don't, I, Adam touched on this a lot uh, in Power Spike that he thought Cuz was really unfortunate. It was unfortunate the fans decided to blame Cuz for game five of that series. You have to remember that. So Cuz had some bad moments, but those bad moments were almost always linked to his teammates also fucking up at the same time. Like, yeah, he went into like try and steal the last Baron, and that was dumb. But his teammates also shouldn't have been in base. Like, like Chovy or uh, Keen yes. and BDD should not have been in the base trying to defend. They should have been trying to play the Baron. Um, so that was just two two messed up calls in a row. I think Cuz ha did have a pretty strong early game. We also have to remember that for whatever reason, Cuz was on Jin Zhao that game, and part of that was there were a bunch of jungle bans and T1 first picked Wukong on blue side to deny cuz they were very specifically targeting cuz they banned the Vi, they banned the Sejuani. We saw the Elise and Lee Sin banned by KT. So we're now at like the sixth priority jungler. And I think Dom made a good point where that Lilia would probably be a lot better with this composition. And I agree with that analysis. Uh, I would, but I don't know if cuz really plays Lilia. Uh, it's not something that he has, shown a lot of this season so where does cuz go after that right like he's played a few games of viego but you have to remember that this split here's his here's his champion pool wukong 17 games sejuani 14 games vi nine games every other jungler he has is three games or fewer they are viego jinjao elise maokai zach and lee sin he wasn't even playing maokai when Maokai was arguably like the strongest pick within the meta. So Go ahead. maybe okay. but the problem with that is, doesn't that imply there are going to be problems with cause he's one dimensional. If you try and ban him out potentially. Um, but here's the other question. Here's the other question that we have to answer. The last time we saw KT lose the very next week, they came back with an entirely different style of play. Right. And it cool. was, you know, before that, he was suffering because he was only really playing Wukong and Sejuani was his scariest champ by a long yeah. shot. It was banned. Then they started coming up with these pick comps with Vi and Viego. So I, I guess, like, Wolf's point on our show about, about uh, KT was that this was a very teachable moment from KT. Okay. Like, KT has learned quickly off of their mistakes, and I don't think they're going to play a pick comp that badly again. And I do wonder if they start thinking about changing Cuz's champion priority because that is what happened last time they lost. It's an interesting it's question. A, just seems like something that people could also replicate to as a band. So I'll be interested to see if people try and target him at least. Yeah, I, I, I mean, he definitely was targeted and by the end of that T1 series. But if I don't think it was because his Jin Zhao was bad. He played it in the Live Sandbox series as well. Um. I don't think it's because his Jin Zhao was bad. I think that 
at 54 minutes into this game that Xin Zhao is fucking useless and will look useless no matter who's playing it. That's what I think. <laughs> I think he's just bad at, in the ultra late game state. Um, and I think that some whole team mistakes were blamed on Cuz. But By the I way, the game was fine. Even though people thought it was like a hilarious meme, that thing after the Hanwha Life series with that whole thing in the interview where fucking Zeka said that like he didn't understand how like the fucking Yasuo worked or whatever. I thought, what was that about? Like, sh that's almost like he's trying to make himself a meme like he really is just playing two champions <laughs> ever. Like, the joke even is, mate, that's the sort of champion you'd think he would play like on the side in solo queue, wouldn't you? Like, bro, you, dude, you're Korean. You're supposed to have played like a billion hours of the game. You don't really just play 19 games of Akali in a row in solo queue, do you? Like, surely you put the odd one in just in case. Like, <laughs> I mean, what is that? What a, weird, what a weird <laughs> scenario to be like first time. And it was like, what the fuck? What a weird situation. Yeah, I, I I don't know. I mean, I I think I think in Hanwa's case, like the upsetting thing about them beating D plus is first off, D plus obviously looked bad, um, but secondly, the joke I've made is that Kingen can only play well when he's on the cusp of elimination. Like yeah. that's the only time Kingen's good is when he can be eliminated. <laughs> and then he has apparently he's just capable of amazing flanks and and team fight engages. I I don't know what it is about. It, you this know guy. what, Monty? It's obviously that phenomena. You know the famous thing where apparently if like you know a car gets goes over a baby, the mother just gets superhuman strength and can lift it off. Yes, because it's just <laughs> so overpowered by the you know the anguish of her child that did. Kingen must just do that apparently. Even though I will say this, it's not quite as cool because this is like if Kingen himself had rolled the car onto the baby. <laughs> and then we're like, oh my God, what's going on? Oh, I'm the hero. Yep, you can thank me as long as I'm around. You'll always be safe. Like, what? Bro, why were we down in the first place? Uh, but, but I mean, watching watching Zekka play Chovy was was really just miserable. I mean, Zekka's in a spot where he's playing Talia and Gragas and fucking Vagar. And then Chovy is basically just. You know, the angle people him. don't even bother bringing up as well. Now Deft got to feel what it was like to see this bullshit from fucking King and Zeka. Like, where were these guys all split? Like, even he got to experience it, Monty. Like, right after winning. It's so ridiculous. Isn't it? I, like, I he thought was I like, upgraded. I, I thought I exactly. upgraded. Why is this happening yeah. to me? Yeah. That's the a good point. Is, this is a, a, he a should, fun form of torture. Next time he plays Faker, he should just walk over and shake hands and go, I apologize so badly for what happened in the World's Files. Now I understand. Now I understand. It's not even League of Legends, is it? It's just nonsense. It's just nonsense. <laughs> this king of guy, by the way, thankfully he hasn't, but he absolutely cannot keep getting away with it. He cannot keep getting away with it. Well, he's, he's thankfully not. he mean, didn't, and he's not going to. He's going out the playoffs next round. It's all good. It's all good. <laughs> I mean, people are, are worried because of memes, because of the KT choke, but I don't think there's a way that KT no, loses. They're going to win that easy, mate. Yeah, I think it's, I think, you know, KT also doesn't really troll that much. I mean, they, they sort of do. In that when we see KT lose, they often just pick things that they can't play. Like we saw them trying to play the Lucian Nami horribly in the T1 uh, on their regular, their last regular season meeting. And I guess we saw them try and play a poke comp, which confused them and they hurt themselves in their confusion. But in, in they don't come in with the plan of like, oh yeah, we're just going to like have a fun pick. And as Wolf would say, they don't, they're not, they don't happy game. Uh, as as much as some of the other Korean teams do. So that also lowers the chance of an upset because you're not going to give away a game with some stupid ass like experimental picks. That's not really what KT does. They may pick things they can't play, but they're they're not doing it because they're experimenting. They're doing it because they genuinely think they can win. I'm not sure if that's better, but <laughs> there we go.
Do we talk not... a bit about LCS, Monty? Sure, we can talk a little bit about LCS. Because here's the thing, mate. I saw you essentially... Ha- I didn't see the actual episodes. I don't know what you said on it, but I saw you essentially got set up for the Richard Lewis, where the YouTube comments like, <laughs> yeah. oh, you have shown your bias, Monty, against Double It. You hate his comeback, his, his, <laughs> the success of his comeback. And it's yep. like, how do you like his comeback today, dickhead? How do you like Double It today, <laughs> dickhead? The best part was the, so the, 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 tic, the, the TikTok even called me a dickhead in it, so it was right. easier to okay. do that. So, yeah, it okay. was perfect. It was really okay. perfect. <laughs> but yes, I was mate, that. This is where I was, dude, I was saying it the whole time. I know everyone else got hyped because they were like, they're on a, a winning streak, though. And it's like, bro, the moment they were on the winning streak was when everyone except Cloud9 just looked whack in the fucking LCS. Like, the joke was Golden Guardians, a bit like that, were looking awesome. So you've seen how that fucking played out. Like, mate, this was outrageous. Like, they always looked like frauds. And quite frankly, the only reason to believe in this 100 Thieves team in the playoffs is if you sort of think, and quite frankly, this doesn't seem to apply in 2013, that like the playoff experience will help you and, you know, somehow you'll like dig deep. None of that happened, mate. None of that was even relevant, in fact. And in fact, they don't even win the clutch games. Like, this is just whack. Like, they, they actually did, they were frauds all along, Monty. They were frauds all along. <laughs> I mean, I don't know yes, how they won those games, but they were frauds the whole time. <laughs> just whack on it. And then for real, all the way dude, down. <laughs> I made the joke earlier in the episode, but like, it's almost true. Like, mate, can you imagine if you were someone from another region just going like, like I'll give you an example. Imagine, you know, some of the, like, like what about death or faker? I'm sure every now and then they'll go on like, you know, Wikipedia or Wiki or the Western site and go, oh, what's going on in LCS? And then they'll go, oh, double lift to Bjergsen. I know them. I've played them before. Let's see how they're doing in the playoffs. Bjergsen is playing silly in every game still but is this 2023 fucking hell mate how many times am i going to tune in and see this monty zillion is not a mid lane champion in league of legends it's like a primary pick like they've actually made that whole dude, pocket pick theme it. a meme dude they've made I that a meme how have double lift and bjergsen both become memes here's the two angles i can't handle right Monty, he never even used to do this in his prime. When he picked the, the Zillion in his prime, it was like specifically for this comp, specifically for this situation. Now he, it's his go-to pick. That's what it's become in the last few years. He became a caricature. And the double lift one is the craziest because everyone's going to go, he's going to bring up that minion. No, what I'm going to bring up is this. Double lift has one of the weirdest qualities I've ever seen in a really good player at a game, which is that he can be so, so good. And by the way, he's in perfectly the wrong role for this. He can be so, so good, but he just has one random brain fart in every fucking big series. And when he has it, it could be the one where he goes after the victor. It could be where they don't go in on the six-man sleep. At that. You know, they could do all these... Fucking, he always has that one insane blunder. And as Loco taught me years ago, the one role that can't have the huge blunder is ADC. You're the one who cast to stay alive. So like, bro, they've both just become like ridiculous caricatures of all their worst elements because they're just not elite players right now. They're not even bad. They're both sort of like middle of the table LCS or slightly above when they have good games. But where, where are the players who used to just win a series because you had them in the server? Like... This is just kind of sad to watch, mate. Like, it just makes me keep thinking. It's a bit like, I mean, to be fair, he's turned it around a bit now, but it's a bit like the last split when I was watching Reckless. It's like, bro, it's not even that I'm hating on you because it's just funny and it's been the narrative. It's like, you're not even the sh- a close to the shadow. You're a shadow of what you used to be at, at your best. Like, you've become a meme. It's sad. Well, I think, I think too, it, yeah, it's not, it certainly isn't fun to watch. Um, I, I, I also think that 100 Thieves w- were really just an amazing beneficiary of evil geniuses having all the like COVID <laughs> slash yes. sickness issues and not being able and the Danny drama, drama and everything like yep. that. 
um, as well as some of the other teams falling off. And yeah, they did go on a on a win streak. But By the way, there's were... an obvious joke we should probably work in there because essentially, if people don't know, exactly the same time, Evil Geniuses, unironically, whoever the PR department is, fire them, became sponsored by Chevron, the oil company, right? There's an obvious like BP oil spill type joke in there. You know, like I, next to the caller point, Jameson, the joke is that's the only thing they would apologize for. Like, sorry, we're sorry with how it worked out with an LCS. Sorry about that. Like, mate, that's so ridiculous. Because you're right, like they had everything in the world go wrong outside the team. It's, it's okay. It's okay. Uh, Danny is now streaming Lost Ark without a camera to 500 viewers, Thor. And like, that's that's where we're at now. He's a really valuable acquisition as a streamer for their brand. Um, he's going to provide a lot of value to their sponsors. Uh, that's just true. I, I don't know what you're talking about. It, it, it makes total sense that they would sign him to their creator collective. Here's, the, here's where I'm... Here's where, and I remember here's the key thing I have to establish first, Monty. I didn't put Danny as a content creator person for Evil Geniuses. I didn't tell Danny to keep playing or being a part of the esports scene. If he has problems and if he's had a very bad time, I would absolutely recommend go to a low level of competition where it doesn't bother you as much or go and be an amateur or be a, be a streamer on your own, by the way, maybe not within AG. Because if you're within AG, they've made you part of the public sort of like record now. And I, I can now make this critique. The obvious question would be, if there was no big problem behind the scenes and there wasn't some scandalous behavior, then the real question is, why is EG putting funds into having a really rubbish streamer? If I was like an investor in EG, I'd be like, why are we paying for that? Because it's a fucking mad cover-up, isn't it? Like, Obviously. It's so obvious at this point in time. Like, it, You even get the vibe. I've watched a little bit of the streams, dude. Like, It's not that he's not trying to do it. He's just not a natural entertainer. He's just kind of a guy. Where you, it's not, it doesn't surprise me as his camera off, mate. It, it's no, not really a very entertaining, engaging experience, guys. That's not even to hate on it. It's just, it's just rubbish, isn't it? Yep. Um, but going back to, going back to the LCS, I, I did, so first off, I, as I said on power spike, I didn't watch the golden guardians versus hundred thieves series because I was, you know, frankly, I was spending the day with my family and my kid and petting goats with my son. And I came back and I was like, Oh, fantastic. Golden Guardians beat 100 Thieves. But you were petting goats. Golden Guardians were whooping goats' ass. Uh, exactly. There you go. We're both spending time with goats in our own way. There you go. Fair but, enough. Yeah. But basically, I came home and I was like, fantastic. Now I never have to watch another 100 Thieves game again. Good for me. And then I didn't watch it because I just truly do not care about that series in any way, shape, or form. And like, I was happy to see the result. I watched the end where Double Lift like needed to auto attack a candy mid and got caught and died and went through the game. That's why, if you saw on Twitter, I was like, that's enough shitty lol for me for the day. (laughs) Someone connect this back because you know, there's that clip where it was on like Power Spike or whatever, where Dom makes that point that he's always seen Double Lift do these macro calls where you trade the Baron for the Nexus or a Dragon for the Nexus. So that's why. I like added Dob on Twitter and I just said, bro, he just traded a minion for the Nexus, essentially. Like, that's the most yeah. next level. Tra- that's like Dom- some Donald Trump shit. Like, this is the worst trade of all time. Like, that's so <laughs> insane. Worst trade deal in history of trade deals. It's just so bad, wasn't it? Yeah, Dom, Dom talked about your uh, your tweet on Power Spike. It was funny. It's just so um, ridiculous. So anyway, I'm just going to be, be straight up with you guys. Like, that was the one series I didn't watch of all the LCS playoffs because I didn't give I a know. fuck. And like, I honestly, guys, I, I just can't be bothered to watch five games of VODs of Golden Guardians versus 100 Thieves. I can't. I can't do it, man. Uh, when when we've got all these like glorious LCK playoff series that I'm watching and all these LEC games, just can't do it. Just can't do it. Um, so 
I won't comment on that, but I will comment on the FlyQuest series where they got completely bopped and we got to see the Zillion come out in game one of that series, which, of course, Vikla just immediately plays Vagar. Turns out it's really difficult to use Zillion ult against a Vagar because you have to guess which targeted 50% HP that he's going to one shot. And yep. if you ult somebody, he'll just ult. The Vagar will just ult somebody else in response. And then you just don't have Chrono Shift. So that was that was pretty entertaining. I mean, I, I was a bit surprised because I thought maybe we've, we've been seeing more Malphite in Europe and, and Korea. And I was I was a bit surprised that we didn't actually get to see as much of it against uh, 100 Thieves because Double Lift has basically been one tricking Jinx throughout these playoffs. And I thought, Maybe somebody will just play Malphite into him. It happened from Evil Geniuses uh, against Luger, uh, but didn't actually didn't actually show up um, in the games that that we saw against against Hundred Thieves. Yeah, I didn't realize actually. That's the only thing that I, that does haunt me a little bit from the Latigas clip. It's not even the dragon thing. It's that every time someone says the name Luger, I'm gonna like get that meme of like a Luger with the blood running through his veins. <laughs> Because listen, like the problem with that is it was just it was just bad, like you know, fucking like like you know, it was like some fucking doing someone doing like a paper, like write a poem at the end, like it was just wasn't good. The imagery didn't work. By the way, it also said nothing about the game, so I'm just gonna be haunted by that forever every time the name Luger is ever mentioned. That one. Uh, and arguably, uh, Luger had very little blood running through his exactly. veins in some of these series. I mean, exactly. that, that series against EG, he looked like a corpse. So now here's the thing: if Latigris was like say a nurse taking blood from the players for like a drug test but she'd be great she'd be you know i think she's actually perfectly qualified for that job you know obviously someone here's the meme guys someone get that movie how to train your dragon and like <laughs> and photoshop latigris in there there you go problem <laughs> solved right <laughs> whatever uh yeah i i think FlyQuest. They just easily dispensed with 100 Thieves. Even that game, too. I think my favorite thing was FlyQuest just, or uh, 100 Thieves forgetting that flanks existed. Because <laughs> you've been saying, here's like, the one thing like, you never wait, get credit for. Wait, 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 wait. 100 Thieves is like, wait, you're telling me that teams can group as five? And that they come from more than one direction at the same time? What the fuck? This is what's so frustrating about watching NA League of Legends, guys, is... The the execution of team plays is just so fucking bad that they, it's it's almost inconceivable to think of them beating any of the good Asian teams. The thing they is, Monty, you literally have actually, no joke, that has been a bugbear of yours for the Bjergsen teams in playoffs for years. That the whole reason Bjergsen could always get off all these weird picks and weird comps and they could play is because no one could ever, who was a top laner, do like a real flank. Like, you never got real, like, decisive flanks that threaten you. People just straight head on fight you 5v5 in some, like, mad, like, moth to the flame. Like, the joke is someone finally did it and it just made it, just, just destroyed you completely. Like, Bjergsen was trained by nine years of LCS or whatever. I think this could never happen, Monty. Like, I don't blame him. <laughs> you know, you know how um, physicists describe how fourth dimensional beings might work compared to humans. And they usually use the analogy because we can't comprehend a fourth dimension of time as anything but linear. Right. So the, the example they make 
is that they try and compare living in two dimensions to living yes. in three dimensions. And so the concept of you just being like a dot on a paper and there's like a line in front of you and you can't conceive of getting over the line or like, whereas in three dimensions, if we see like a wall, even if it's like a short wall, that's, you know, we just hop over a one foot wall. But if that one foot wall is placed in two dimensions, you would just have to go around it. Right. And that's the analogy that I would make here with NA teams is like, they are playing like two dimensional league of legends and Asian teams play three dimensional league of legends. And it's like, they can't even comprehend about what the third dimension could be. And it's the same thing. It's like that same functioning concept. And it just feels like as soon as you enter NA, you go into the two-dimensional world and you're totally incapable of actually existing in that third dimension. You can go back, guys. Go to the early episodes of this split. And I said, the one thing you don't want is 100 Thieves to make MSI. Because like now you see why it would have been so terrible if they'd have fluked their way in. Thankfully, apparently, it was never even a possibility. We that was just a mirage during the fucking round robin. They were never actually real. It was always false. It's all good. <laughs> yeah, it, 100 it, Thieves. It, 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 well, I can see five, but you know. It's it's like the Matrix, guys. This is what talking to NA fans has been like for my entirety of, of League of Legends. It's that they they when they're offered the red pill of like watching Korean League of Legends, they're like, no, thanks. I'd like to just have the blue pill and eat some good old American steak in the Matrix. I'm just like, OK, buddy. Yes. <laughs> That's how it feels like talking to these people sometimes their level of delusion that they're not exactly that they're not truly living in the Matrix environment. So also, I'll just put this out there. I know this is like a weird tangent, but in the LEC, because of the last week, they've sort of redeemed the narrative. Because, you know, the whole split, they made it about Reckless for some reason. Like, he was the king of the LEC when he came in initially. Then every fucking VOD thumbnail or video thumbnail is like, Reckless. Like, even though Fnatic was terrible. It's like they've just decided to revert to the old scripts. Because the weird thing I thought about this split of LCS was, am I missing something, guys? Or did every single week involve some weird Doublelift storyline? It was always like, Doublelift and Prince, that was about three episodes. It was like, Cutie Cinderella and Doublelift, like, that was about two or three episodes they even they even have that that, that cringe humor segment catching up with double lift but he's not there half the time that's the joke he's not there ever he's not there ever that's the joke it's so sad and i know (laughs) when i watched that he also didn't show up to playoffs so there you go here's the problem with that is this is one of those moments like well some of them eventually do turn the call like the breaking bad one whenever if you don't know guys everyone used to say breaking bad was like the best show ever and i used to be like i think it's crap and i watched it i would never watch it again but now people sort of come around to my position along those lines We've already seen no joke. Maybe they're unaware because they're so unoriginal. It's all parallel thinking, Monty. Almost every broadcast that does skits has now done a Between Two Ferns style skit. Almost every single... And here's the problem I have with it. Look, maybe it's not my cup of tea, but I don't even find that guy funny, the real one. I find oh, those Eric interviews Andre? like cra- like I don't know it's no it's it's the fucking Zach no, 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 Galifianakis the, the, guy. The, the catch, yeah, Zach Galifianakis is between two ferns, but I think the it's more Eric Andre. The they're both style the same they shit. Do. The problem is that's yeah. not my style of humor. So to me, I yeah. don't find it funny at all. So a bad version of that is even less funny to me. Like this is the thing, Mark Z can do a funny skit if you give him the right material. A bunch of these people could do funny. I just don't know why they keep reverting to that one. Like because the problem is this: to actually make that gag work, like that's a good, that's a good thirty second gag, Monty. They do the real whole five minute segment. Like, holy shit, this drag's on. Like, it just, they, they, those segments die on their ass for me, man. I can't handle them. <laughs> I don't know. 
I, I can't I can't explain it. I can't explain it. People seem to like it. Whatever. That's the worst uh, thing. Everyone's just like, wow, amazing <laughs> job. How did you think it? How did you think that idea up? Like, holy shit, fucking hell. <laughs> not, my, not my cup of tea either. Um, okay. So, you know, going back to the, the FlyQuest series, I, I, it was, I mean, it was really just playoff impact styling as well. It was, it was everything that we thought FlyQuest could be. I'm still concerned about FlyQuest. I still think Cloud9 is probably the better team in terms of court coordination and synergy at this point in time there's still a lot of flyquest does seem disconnected at times like you don't see the same mid jungle synergy that you've seen with flyquest um they they seem to be discombobulated as a group even though they have very good individual players we can argue about whether Ayla has been better than Winsome. It just hasn't come together. Do we as have nightly. to argue. Can't, can't we just just admit that he's not? <laughs> you were just being kind there, money. He hasn't. He's just been whack. Yeah. I don't know why they so, waited for this guy. Quite frankly, and in spite of MNS sometimes having very bad games, Cloud9 has proven that they can actually power through those games sure. as a team and still pull out the wins. They did 2-0 FlyQuest in the last week of competition. If you include the uh, the the rematch in the tiebreaker. So I think it's hard. I think it's going to be hard for FlyQuest to win the split, but I do think we'll get a run back of that C9 versus FlyQuest final. The thing is, though, I just want to see this match. Like, it's obviously the only real match that has, like, true, like, could be good League of Legends, maybe. You could actually have yeah, some yeah. proper comps. Or something. Yeah, at least it's a real game, you know. Yeah, and we, we're going to get it on Thursday. So that that actually will, I think, be quite exciting. Now, EG versus Have you noticed, Sponty, how even though I get why the owners in the past might not want it, Sarah, for people like me and you, it is just actually, look, even though I realized for the live angle, it wasn't good for you in the past. Like, I actually just like the fact that leagues are on different days now, mate. It's not like that oh, yeah. weekend where it's like, oh, God, there's like a million no, games. it's better to for me. That's what, I love that's getting the I stories think. going through the week. I, mean, like, I, I, I watch would, this one day, this another day. It's awesome. We can, we can head back to what I said about the the schedule changings for LCS when it happened, which is that I thought they were a good thing. Everybody else was freaking the fuck out about it. Now, I thought the 12 p.m. start was bad, but as soon as they moved it to 2 p.m. Pacific, I was like, oh, well, this this yeah, now yeah. makes a lot more sense. It is literally exactly what I would have done if I was in charge of that situation because you want the European viewership. Actually, let me, let me put it this way. If your goal is maximizing viewership, no matter where those viewers come from, and you care about European viewership, this is what you do. This is absolutely what you do. And I think, honestly, that, uh, you know, from, from talking to people who are around the broadcast, and be careful so I don't reveal anything here, um, from talking to people who are around the broadcast, they did have quite good data about kind of the age demographic of the LCS audience, which is tending to be older now that LCS has been around for 10 years and like the Zoomers okay. are all off playing Valorant and Fortnite and whatever the fuck they're doing. Um, and so moving it to a weekday is better. I mean, it's it's a, just a straight up, it's objectively better for me because even though it starts at 2 p.m., many people who are in esports, not all of them, but many people have white collar jobs where they can kind of like throw it on a second monitor if they're working from home um, and watch the games. Or it's it's a lot easier to watch the games when you get home from work in the evening on a weekday rather than it's sucking up your entire afternoon on Saturdays and Sundays. Like it's just easier for working adults to watch it this way. Um, spare me your comments, people with like, 
oh, well, you know, I work a night shift and this is what, whatever, you, you know, you're a minority. I think most people, this has been a very big success and it's proven out because the regular season viewership, I think has actually increased, uh, this split compared to, compared to last split, um, by like 10%. It's not a lot, but it's better. And I, I was, I was encouraged by this. And as you were saying, Thorin, having to watch LEC run straight into LCS for 10 best of ones on Saturday and Sunday oh, was outrageous. fucking unbearable. Yeah. And then you couple that with the fact that there were also best of threes in LCK and LPL that were happening immediately before LEC. And it's just like, holy shit, man, my entire weekend is ruined if I want to follow this game. You know? No, it's used to suck. So I, I I think it has been, you know, I think we can take a look and all you people who are freaking out about this, it has been objectively successful. It, and I think it was a good idea. And I also I think, think I, that, I think it's the only reason some people even watch some of these series in LCS, mate. Because as you say, if you have a, if you have to choose or you only have a, like like as Monty's saying, if you watch LCK on the Saturday, you're not watching LCS. You'd have watched like fucking like 14 hours of League of Legends at that point in time. Like you're just not like the difference is if it's like a, a third, maybe you watch the game, you know, like, oh, is that on? The other leagues aren't. I'm waiting for Friday for the fucking LEC. You know, well, it's now Saturday, but you know. Yeah, I mean, I I frankly even prefer to have some of the LEC games on Mondays now because quite it's cool a, again. It? Yeah. <laughs> again, yeah. it's just easier. I can't because I have a family and that I would like to occasionally spend time with. Now I do spend my Sundays working, but Saturdays I try and take during the day off, and it's a lot easier for me to catch up on games now because I'm able to watch more of them during like a normal fucking work week. Um, which even if this isn't your job, I think that's true for people where generally they want their weekends freed up and having five hours from, you know, of your weekend afternoon on both days sucked up by the LCS is just not ideal. So anyway, LCS playoffs, uh, the, the last thing to comment on really is EG looking better than we might have expected, but again, they, they had, had all of those issues. Surely. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, they they this should never have. Bit. They should never have been at the seed that they were in yep. in the playoffs. Like they are the better team compared to a hundred these. I think it's unfortunate both that CLG played quite badly against them, and then also CLG hit them in the lower part of the bracket because I think CLG probably we'll never know how like, good clg is though yeah yeah i think it's a for me it's a bummer because i yeah. would have really liked to have seen clg versus 100 thieves or versus golden guardians rather than having eg and clg hit each other so early because i have a feeling that clg is probably the fourth best team in the league but They're probably are mate the probably yep, have no, it's like no, I said before know. the split law. The sad thing about CLG is this, and look, it's not just like the NA ang angle to it, but it's just the fact that they don't have stale players that have massive amounts of playoff success in their history. So if you look at the team, it's just even when they are actually the better team, it's been the same thing for the last splits, right? You just know somehow when they go against the big dog, they'll sort of break down in a way in the round robin. Maybe they wouldn't. They'd give them a great game. Like this was the split, by the way, where finally I see why Cloud9 was even considering Parlor Fox like two years ago. Because I always thought like, me, that was a fucking bullet you dodged there. Like, if you imagine if you'd have put him in the mid lane, actually, now he's sort of developed into a player who has some promise. Like, he has some pop offs. He now. might be a top three mid laner in the yeah. league, frankly. He's some um, legit pop off games. Yeah, I think, I mean, that is also a testament to how horrifically weak the mid lane was this split. And I wouldn't have the other caveat here is that I wouldn't have considered MNS for all pro because I think he played too few games. But 10, I think it was. Yeah, was it 11, and, 10 or 11 and, or something. Yeah, and three of those games were like straight ints, by the way. Like, 
you know, his first game and then there's a couple of Jays games were just The horrific. problem with him is people were just getting it. They were falling in love with the height of the peak. That's the problem. Yeah. So obviously he looks cracked in some of the games. Yeah. Um, and also, I think it's just unfortunate that Ablaze Olive decided to retire because he was kind of on the up and up over the last couple of years. And had his, pretty good, yeah. Yeah, he had his own pop-off game, so that's kind of a bummer. So then your choices are like Vikla, whose laning phase in the last half has been super suspect. So you kind of default to Gory. And then you've got, you know, Jojo Pion throughout the sick. Like everybody had such huge up and downs in the mid lane that, you know, even Maple starts to like Palafox and Maple start to enter the conversation potentially. Um, so, yeah, I think I think mid lane was just like super duper weak um, this split in LCS. But that also means that players kind of on the outsider and some of the worst teams are going to have an opportunity to maybe make their case for being top three in the league. Oh, no, I would actually say one of the bizarre things about both LCS and LEC is there's way more actual parity in terms of talent spread across the league when you look who's performing well. Like, there are players on bottom. Like, as you say, obviously, Maple and them aren't even in the playoffs. Like, some of them had some good games, mate, if you go look at this split. Like, there's a reason why they were in contention. CLG in the regular split was legit. Like, they had a bunch of good games. Golden Guardians was way better than everyone thought they would be. Like, the joke is it's actually owning some of the big names, like Doublelift and Bjergs, who kind of shit the bed. Aside from that, I mean, obviously, we've at this point in the past episode, Jensen was like one of the best players on a terrible team you'll ever see. Jankos in Europe is amazing on Heretics, even though they're terrible. Like, the actual that's one thing that's making the round robin still fun to some degree is like, at least you have like so much talent that you get like the odd game where these players, if you have these players that we say, you can have a pop off from the mid lane if the mid lane talent's so spread out. Of course. Yeah. You can have one game from them. Yeah. I, I think ultimately, though, this is, it feels like we're going to get the Cloud Nine. FlyQuest game, EG probably, probably isn't... just go to MSI. It's just much shorter. Yeah, than probably in it, probably know. EG isn't good enough to beat either of those two teams, yeah. and then we get the Cloud Nine versus FlyQuest rematch in the finals. It feels I, I think EG absolutely could make it to the finals. They're definitely like yeah. the dark horse, but I think it's not the most likely outcome. I'm just gonna say that. Fudge did say in that interview a few weeks ago to Travis Gafford that hundred thieves would be playing Cloud Nine in the final. So all I'm gonna say is. <laughs> stay away from our sponsors. Only we are allowed to use that product and promote that product and our fans only are out tonight with the code LFN. <laughs> Thefreezepack.com because I don't know what he was smoking with that. Thefreezepack.com, that's right. <laughs> I don't know what he was smoking with that prediction, but that was a wild one right there. You must just really love Double well, Fibiokes. I, I mean, know, I mean that, that's that's what we can say about, <laughs> about NA fans, especially 100 these fans to kind of put a cap on the LCS situation is that you guys were all up there with the hopium just huffing the hell out of all right. of that hopium for 100 Thieves after they reeled off that win streak at the end of the season. But then reality set in. But if you'd yes. like to escape reality for a little bit longer, you can head on over to thefreezepipe.com yes. and use your code LFN to make yourselves feel better about 100 Thieves. And probably, I mean, this is great too because 420 comes after the NA playoffs, yeah. right? Uh, which means it's before MSI. So that's the perfect time to get yourself a freeze pipe so that you can really chill out during MSI yes. and not be so concerned about NA team's performances against Europe, China, and Korea. So thanks a lot to the freeze pipe for the sponsorship uh, of Last Free Nation. And 
also thanks to them because they re-upped with us recently. So you get to see even okay. more and some fun stuff we've got planned for you. Yes. Uh, special things. With we won't tell you what, but it'll be, you will enjoy it. Like, put it this way, I'll give you a little hint. We've done some of these things in the past. That's all I'll say for people who are true fans. You might have an idea what we're going to do that'll be fun. By the way, <laughs> in that scenario as well, just like someone who should try out a freeze pipe, we look, we do want all the smoke. But the problem is, it's hot and irritating, which is also, by the way, me and Monty's code names in the industry behind the scenes. When we're at those parties, you know, with the masks on, you know, whatever. <laughs> uh, very good. And uh, also thanks to you guys for uh, going out and buying all the freeze pipes. You guys yeah. have been killing it. By and the way, tweet at us and tweet at us and tag yeah. us if you, if you buy one. We'll, we'll and and tag the freeze pipe. They fucking love yeah. this shit, man. They, exactly. they have been really happy with you guys. Who, who could have known that our fans loved freeze pipes so much? Uh, don't blame them, though. Good product. I mean, um, it's like I say, though, Monty, the joke is we did just find the perfect sort of like thing to ask our fans to do. Like, right, guys, listen, I know it sounds, you know, let's have a heart to heart, right? Could you guys possibly buy like weed paraphernalia to support us? Oh, you can. Oh, shit. Well, well problem solved then, yeah. Right? Didn't know it was going to be that easy. Nice. I think we, I think we found our audience, Monty. And by it. the way, does anyone want to come and watch a Kevin Smith movie with me? Like, we can fucking start doing that soon if you want. We'll have a yep. watch party or something. Yeah, watch for clerks. But I will, I will, <laughs> I will, I will say this again, guys. The the single best way to support us is to support our sponsors. So you guys really have delivered on that front. And we will have more sponsors for you soon that you should also support. Uh, if, again, if you like the products and we try and get the good products for you guys. Um, all right. You want to switch to L LEC for a little bit? Yeah, let's do it. As I have I to say, say, I didn't watch all of the LEC games this past weekend, but I watched a good number of them. The problem is, basically, like I say, it's not just talent in the LEC. The parity of the LEC is ridiculous, mate. Like, the amount of up and down matches and flips back and forwards, it's all over the place. Like, as much as, like, for example, you want to talk about Fnatic. Fnatic did look way better, and they did actually have a couple of games that were good, and yeah. they even did actually... They, they could have won that G2 game way earlier. They did have this whole turnaround but at the same time the league also just looks like me it's night and day people just go from being really good one game to like just terrible the next it's, it's really weird like how up and down the round robin is in this particular league yeah i i do think that that's kind of a problem with this format we discussed part of the pitfalls which is that playing a round robin I am just not a fan of playing like best of one round robins into best of threes because i think you're testing for two different skills which is that playing three against three different teams in best of ones in a single weekend is very different than playing like a single best of three against a specific opponent within a, a week or with several days of preparation. So that's kind of annoying because even though I'm not a huge fan of the LCK and LPL formats, at least they are more consistent with what they're testing for. And so it can be, I would say, somewhat anomalous. And also, I think rewards, the, the round robin rewards teams that do, of course, have a great deal of like fundamentals and consistency, but maybe also have targetable weaknesses that if an opponent really preps for them, or you can actually like kind of iterate on pinching champion pools, that can be a problem, which is why I guess I'm a little bit, you know, it's a little weird that BDS ended up in first place because I don't think that anybody really believes that Nobody BDS did. is the best team in oh. LEC, but they have been to their credit. They have been very well the games. Yeah, you got to give they them win the games. They've been extremely consistent and they 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 are arguably the solace team, the, the most solid team in overall fundamentals, which yep. will be rewarded in these you know, round robins where you don't have a lot of time to prepare for a single opponent. So 
credit to them for that. And I do think that they are good. And it, I've, I have been very pleasantly surprised by Adam, considering that he had such a, oh, for sure, for me, disappointing debut to his professional career, where it felt like he was the square peg that was trying to be jammed through the round hole and that he couldn't actually be a round peg if he wanted to. And I think we've seen a big evolution in his career where he still has all the strengths he used to have, but now he can also play meta picks. And now he, he it doesn't feel like his team is necessarily playing as heavily around him that he can adapt his play style to the situation to still suit it. So big credit to Adam. I think he's, he's had a remarkable development. If people don't know why basically most of the Western analysts, except the ones on mad fucking copium, didn't give Adam credit for the Fnatic run, it's because not only was he just only like fucking like two and two tricking those champions that he plays or whatever the fuck into like weird matchups, but also, quite frankly, it's why, if you notice, the same analysts gave way more praise to Whippo's jungle roll swap because they were like, wow, he made that work and he sort of like was able to like help Adam and like, like everyone thought that just shows how cracked Whippo is his understanding of the game obviously came from top lane himself but if you looked at when Adam went down into BDS initially he looked terrible that first split it's not a surprise to me he got sent back to the fucking shadow realm of the RLs mate but I think this guy totally deserves now he's actually good as well here's the thing people have missed even though he is still I wouldn't say he's like one dimensional he's just like he's just got a very set playing style mate as idiosyncratic as he is, it works his strengths. Like, it's not just the picks either. Yep. If you have someone who's just like a weak laner, he's going to find angles to fucking kill him, mate. He's going to bully him. He actually will. So even if, yeah, we all loved watching that LS video where he just broke down how the guy didn't understand wave states. Yeah, there's certain bigger picture concepts he doesn't understand. I wouldn't want to see this guy, spoiler, at MSI. He's not going to be, let's be real. But I wouldn't want to see that. But in LEC and domestic player, there's a lot of top players, mate, can get a 1v1 solo ball off from fucking Adam. Like, props to him and as you say he's integrated into the team now the bigger thing for me is this if anyone wants to say because you can in the round robin because of the format say well you know this game here maybe someone should have beaten BDS or with this draft they should have dude BDS even had games they didn't win this split that they could have this team just you have to just give it up to someone when they win that many games against teams like yeah. remember before the split started if I showed you the vitality in the G2 rosters and I said BDS finishes ahead of them you'd say it's no way so just yeah like you say mad props to the coaching staff as well coaching staff just killed it. And crown shot is still just amazing. What a fucking great player he is! I, this, I, but, I, yeah, I, I don't know how he's made this level up, mate. He was he was always good, but now he is really good. I mean, I he is, but <laughs> I still can't believe that he was just sitting on this BDS in bench while X Maddie was there. And like, you know, I had conversations with Crown Shot, and like that was really hard on him uh, at the time. Like, um, and you know, I I tried my best to be like. I really believe you deserve to be in the LEC and tried to buck him up a little bit. And I'm super happy for his success now. Like, um, but it, it is, it is bizarre sometimes that the, these players just kind of get relegated to the ERLs when they clearly have the talent to be a starting player within the, the LEC. And sometimes that's budgetary issues. Sometimes that's like a team makes a decision to like field X Maddie. Meanwhile, all the other teams have already signed 80 carries. So you just kind of get stuck 
in that scenario. But I mean, it be we hard. actually had grabs on our episode of Best Damn League Show, right? And his reasoning yep. has a logic to it. The problem is it just sucks if you crown shot. Basically, his logic was apparently X Matty's one of the only players in the team who had sort of like a grinder mindset and like a and like a never quit mindset. And apparently some of the others in the team were sort of like lazy people. And essentially he thought like I need X Matty to be my culture leader, basically. So right. essentially grabs is sort of inadvertently you'll notice there, basically admitting crown shot's probably better at the position. But they because the weird thing that grabs revealed, which fair play was very good defense is he said the unique thing he had as his job when he joined BDS is he had to actually on some level manage both teams at the same time, Monty, the LAC team and the team that plays in the RLs. And that meant as a result that if he, when he sees he's not winning LEC, he's supposed to try and win a U Masters if you get that premise, you know. Right. So I get the look. That all's great. But if you return to the crowd shot point, essentially, like you're sort of admitting, yeah, crowd shot was just trapped. Like, even if he played well, he couldn't get in the team. Like, that's why it sucks. I agree with you, mate, because I've never seen this guy be bad in LEC. People talk, like, yeah, he was on some bad teams. He was always, like, one of the better players on them. And quite frankly, the first thing I'm thinking of right now, look, I know we all got tricked by Neon last year. I know we're all a little bit reticent to take people from the smaller teams in Vethio and put them on the bigger teams. But I tell you what, mate, here's the difference. Those players, like, Neon actually is the journeyman in his career. It was only last split that he was amazing. Vethio, he's a very, very young player, still only played in certain teams that have seemingly catered to him. Crown Shot is a veteran now. He's played so many different teams, so many years. I believe he could slot him into a team. Like the joke is, look, maybe not now. Maybe he's getting his far back. Who knows? But if Fnatic wants another ADC, I'd be getting Crown Shot, mate. Like, just an obvious, why not try it? He's looked so good in all these yep. games. The whole year, the whole year, guys. I'm hyped actually for what they can do in groups. Because this is the thing. I don't believe they can actually be a team that goes to MSI. I just can't believe when they get the best of fives, they're going to win. We'll see. But if they prove no, we won't. But I in mean, groups, I, they can fuck it up. In the best of threes, mate, it could be fun. I think that's part of... I think that's part of what happens, though, when you are a team that has solid fundamentals with a kind of unique identity that BDS has with Adam and now Astralis has with Leader, which is that teams are not going to be able to deeply prepare for your weird quirks in a best of one when they've got be everybody else to, to the eye. Exactly. Remember, when you there's the core concept, guys. When people play to the meta, you get to practice for like eight teams at once. When someone plays really weird, unless yeah. they're T1 and it's like the leader of your league you have to beat, you just don't, well, sorry, we'll just put like a little bit of effort and hope it works until we get to the BO5. You know? Right. It's just and, reality, and like, innit? Let's be, let's be super <laughs> honest. Was anybody really targeting bds in any week as no like way. the team we have to beat right no. it, it, you know i think probably teams were prepping a lot heavier for like g2 vitality you know these these guys probably faced a lot more SK of the, gaming yeah, SK, yeah considering their their performance last split right um so i i think at the end of the day like teams like bds and astralis really benefited from that and oh. i, I as much as I love Leader, and I think that it's awesome to have him in LEC, and it's awesome to have Astralis doing well because they have a very the group of players on Astralis is just really exciting. Like the combination of Leader and Junghoon is like fucking fun. Like those are just fun players to watch. But I don't think seriously that they are going to take best of series against top teams. They are limited. And even though their limitations are, in fact, what make them entertaining, it's not going to probably make them a championship team in the LEC. And also, if they ever were going to be tested against the teams that you'd think would have, like, BOX quality, look at the group they've drawn now, guys, in the fucking group stage. Like, by coming first, that's your reward. you got G2, 
a lot of people think spiritually the best team in the LEC. Sure, yeah. SK, the most dangerous dark horse, except for BDS themselves, if you want to say it that way. And then Koi, just, here's the thing about Koi, they're not good, but they won't die. You know what I mean? Like, they will not just fucking pass away and become terrible. Every time you think they're bad, they just go, go ahead and win a game or win a series. So, like, they're, it's going to be hard to get more, out. They're also much more veteran when it comes to oh, easily. series. So the problem right. is it's going to be hard just to get out of the group, like I say. So the idea they're going to get to best of fives, if they can, God bless them, then I'll give me more props as the coaching staff. But I just feel like you did a great round robin, and sadly, because of the rest of the league's results, you actually ended up with a harder group, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I agree with that. Um, I guess we should talk about Fnatic a little bit. Uh, yeah. Seems, I mean, I think Oscarinen his improvement, in spite of all the criticism that he's been facing, has been yeah, quite props. inspiring. Like, I mean, he really got shit. Dude, everyone wanted him literally, no joke. Everyone wanted him literally replaced. Like, they all thought it's like an Abadaga thing last split. They were like, why don't you bring someone else in, even a even an ERL player? Like, I tell you what, fair play to him. He had some pretty clean games. Yeah. Um, I think the criticism appears to have either unfazed him or powered him up in certain ways. And it's looking a lot better. So it's nice to see that performance. He also as a rookie player could have just had nerves because the implications were that Fnatic was doing better in scrims than they were doing yep. on stage and that their stage results were actually quite surprising. That said, I, I mean, I don't think this team is going to win a title. Like I, that's not really going to get out of this group. I'm telling you, I'm going to be here. I don't care. They don't get out of this group. Uh, I mean, maybe they do. I listen. Astralis, maybe Fnatic they can... and Mad Lions are all kind of a toss-up. I would say. I would say they're close with the Stralis. We'll see on that one. I, I still think Astralis is a bit of a canny team. Mad Lions, maybe they could beat. They've had a lot of bad games this split. I think Vitality is going to work them. So I hope they play. Quite frankly, not least because the upset versus Fnatic storyline, delicious, absolutely delicious. I mean, there's Vitality did have some shaky games uh, this past week, and like Perks hasn't looked as good this no, he's split. Probably had, he's had a pretty much a downturn this whole split, yeah. Um, week and, by week, it's getting worse, unfortunately. The rest of the team looks good during times. It, it does It does feel like, though, we can't have a week where, like, all of Vitality looks good. Yep. Like, last week, like, Bo was kind of running it down. This week, yep. like, Perks was struggling a little bit. Last game against Koi was super clean, but Koi's early game is such a tragedy at this point in time that, you know, That's kind of whatever. Yeah, it's exactly. almost a perfect game, though. Almost a perfect game, which is pretty crazy. Uh, hopefully this team can like actually get all on the same page playing well together for these playoffs, because I really desperately want to see this team at MSI uh, yep. for the international competition. So need them to do well. We're so close. We're so close to actually getting all the really good teams at MSI. Can we just please have it? <laughs> or at least the really good rosters. As many of the rosters I want, you know, because the other thing I've always thought unfortunately about league that does suck a little bit is right. When you have all these international tournaments in Counter-Strike, they are just, that is the regular season if people don't understand. So it's just smaller international tournaments versus bigger international tournaments. So right. you never actually get this scenario where it's like you're desperate to see people. But the worst thing about league, it's like the example we gave earlier of uh, D plus is like, by the time MSI had arrived, D-Plus could have come completely out of their funk, adapted to the Met. You know what I mean? Like, so, so much could have changed. Patches would have changed. Like, that, that's the downside of League is like, you think it's like, oh, we want the best teams now. It's like, you just want the best teams in theory because you hope, like, remember the downside as well is if someone does like an underdog run in one patch in one region, are they actually then going to translate that to international play on a different patch against a different team? Probably not. You know what I mean? That's the downside. That's what I always worry about. Yeah, no, it's it's a fair concern. I don't think the patch is going to change that much. As far as I know from previous announcements that Riot made, um, the the patch is going to be um, 13.6, uh, 
uh, for MSI. What are the main changes on that? Uh, very few changes. Nerfs to Aurelian, Soul, Vagar, and Yumi, which are needed. I mean, I am still scared about Yumi at MSI because I think it's going to be enabled, uh, okay. which is really shitty. Uh, they buffed Ash Galio. So that's how they get us, Monty. See, I didn't know how they'd do it. I I'm always waiting for the penny to drop in fucking League of Legends, Monty. So in the same way as like when finally carry champions came back to League of Legends was when literally my favorite player, Fly, uh, Flame, got fucking benched and he didn't get to play the games. And Acorn used to play a fucking tank player, used to play instead <laughs> of <rebel> him. <laughs> Like, brilliant. And so basically, in that scenario, here's the cursed monkey paw that they got us with, Monty. I was thinking, well, this new format, it's going to be amazing. Who can't wait for MSI, all those extra games? And they were like, ha, all right, Thorin, you want extra games? Padme meme. Like, Riot, like, I'm going to make sure there's lots of extra games for you, Thorin. N not with something weird like you mean every game, though, right? Yes. Like, come on, man. So now it's just going to be 15 games of Yumi all the time in every playoff series. Come on. I mean, I, hopefully not. I, there, so it they, better not be like Permabot every game. That's going to ruin the draft. It could be 13-7 as well. Like, we're we're still not sure what's going on. And there are like a million jungle When do you find out stuff like that, though? So, uh, on Twitter from the designers, typically. <laughs> How do you plan for that, then? What the fuck? What's your team? Yeah. Yeah, well, they haven't uh, they haven't officially announced which one it is because I think the designers are still tweaking the game. But thirteen seven, just to go over it really quickly, has nerfs to Ramis, Vagar, Olaf, Sejuani, Vi, Wukong, Lee Sin, Zeri, and Annie. So a fuck ton of the meta junglers, and has buffs to Azir, which was hurt by some of the changes they made on previous patches. Katarina, Callista, Graves, Alistair, and Yasuo, which is, you know, could be interesting. Um, a lot graves of graves buffs especially a, are fun i always like yeah, the graves buff, the graves buffs and then all the rest of the jungle yeah. nerfs kind of make me scared uh but yeah. we'll see that's the fucking lpl buff right there mate <laughs> bring in the graves bring right. it in and I also Bill loves graves by the way he's cracked on it too oh yeah uh i think the the yumi uh, the yumi thing is still really disturbing because even though they nerfed yumi it doesn't they didn't fix any of the fundamental problems with yumi as a champion in terms of her untargetability I'm hoping they nerfed her enough, but she's so strong in professional play that it. I'm scared. I'm scared the there is another Monty, Yumi permaban. We've discussed this on many other champions in the past, but for me, the obvious framing and characterization of the champion Yumi goes like this. The reason, unfortunately, it cannot ever be balanced is because pro play and solo queue are so different. So the yes. problem is, for me, to ever have it be viable in pro play so it isn't broken would mean an idiot in solo queue in gold and iron can't play it. You know what I mean? Yes. Like they, It would just do nothing, essentially, at that point in time. Therefore, as a champion, it would already exist in pro play. And another downside of League of Legends, sadly, is because Riot wants pro play to be an advert for the game, they don't want it to be like some kind... Imagine if no one ever played a Yumi game, ever game in solo queue, but then every time you turned on LCS, they were playing Yumi. It would, look, it would actually make you think like you weren't watching the same game. It's just such a... Because the problem with that champion is just too game-breaking, isn't it? Like when it works, it's too good. I always thought, mate, that's the ultimate one where, like, if you could go back in time, surely that's the one you remove. I don't care about the other ones people cried about in history cast or whatever. You can tweak those, Monty. There's always, and also, they would always have, like, the real counterplay aspect. Like, you, you bash it in early and then it doesn't get strong. Like, the Yumi one's just, like, it had to be broken and perma-banned perma against all the good teams when it was powerful. That was, it just ruined draft, basically. Yep. No, it's mm. brutal. 
Um, I mean, I'm not a, I'm not a, obviously I'm not a fan of some other champions like Aphelios as well, because I think their design, even though their design is good from an interesting gameplay perspective, it's their, their, so their design is so fucking opaque that it's very annoying. Um, very annoying. And also, I'll just say this. One of the reasons I've always thought it's actually a bit unfair when everyone critiques people when they play against champions that are like untargetable or whatever. Because you know the famous thing people do is like when an Olaf runs at you, Monty, loads of teams, even in pro play to this day, are still attacking it while it's on the ult right. That's because you're not actually consciously thinking about what you're doing at every moment, guys. Part of it, you just react. And unfortunately, your normal instincts tell you when someone charges into the fucking front line, like, attack this guy. So I know it's mad. It's the same reason why people still instinctually just dump everything on the support when they have to, like... It's like that aspect of people's brains. People can be quite primitive, even when they're pro in that sense, guys. Like, they sort of do just react, like, instinctually sometimes. So it just makes everyone look like they're shit at the game, even though it's just, like, that... that that particular character has such a unique, totally unique angle that there isn't any other character that works like that. You know what I mean? I guess I don't blame these pros sometimes for not getting it. It's really hard to keep in your mind. Yep. No. Um, uh, do we talk about LPL playoffs just a little bit? Yeah, go on then. I'll uh, take you on this one. Because I've been waiting happening? forever just to see what the bloody bracket would be. Obviously, like, please, because the bracket, if people don't know, was going to be so important on this one. There's so yeah. many interesting matchups we could have made. So I, I'm a bit sad that top OMG and LNG all ended up in the same half of the bracket because those are all teams that I potentially might like to see in double elimination, whereas I'm pretty far out on Weibo right now just because of their inconsistency. Uh, I'm just so scared. I'm so scared. Top's just going to lose to OMG, Monty. Just ruin that playoff storyline already. That would be pretty I'm so scared. (laughs) Look, OMG, I love the style of play. It's a mega LPL style, but it just ruined... Like you you say, every time, I'm just like, how's it going to go wrong for Rookie this split, though? You know what I mean? Like, it's always... (laughs) Something goes wrong. It's metal. Uh, I I think with top esports, though, that we can't discount the fact that the veteran players on this roster could absolutely just make a run through the entire bracket. could win some of these series, too. Yeah, of course. They've got some mega players. Tian could actually pop off, of course. Look, that's why I'm not so upset about top esports, because here are the two options. They continue their current performance and bomb out before they ever hit double limb, and therefore I don't care because they're playing badly. Okay. Or they have an insane run because they're really good. Like, those are the two options that they basically have, and I'm okay with either of those options, right? I would love to see this team in form, and if they can get there, they will have they have the potential to do one of the craziest runs in LPL playoff history from the absolute bottom of the bracket. So that's entertaining for me. That's entertaining for me. Luckily, though, we did get, I actually think, overall, the right two teams got the slots that guarantee them the 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 double a limb portion. JDG and EDG were overall the best two teams. Like, if you actually had to look at it, EDG, in terms of, like, being complete, probably the best, like, looking team in the LPL. JDG just has the insane roster, and when it hits, they are fucking sick. And then the cool thing is, like, I know LNG was competing at the while. LNG, we've talked about already, the props go to the players there, individual stars yeah. and what we give. So, to me, the right two teams got it. It's like, the best part about these playoffs is we're guaranteed all those series of EDG and JDG. Like, it's going to be a fucking banger, man. Those are the ones I want to see all the matchups of. I, you bring in the other teams. They're the two I want to see all the matchups with. 
Yeah, uh, exactly. And they have such insanely different styles. And like the storyline of EDG is so cool. Like JDG is basically who we expected them to be. But EDG is far better than we thought they would be given the roster moves that they had made. Uh, these are the two teams that as of right now, we obviously want to see at MSI. But it's always very difficult because... LPL playoffs are just such a different beast than the regular season and teams don't take the regular season as seriously as we mentioned earlier. So this is the time that we see the ramp up and potentially teams like LNG that have been really good, but are fundamentally flawed in terms of the players that they have may collapse in the face of a team like top esports, right? Yep. Um, inevitably there'll be some pretty big upsets uh, should be a really exciting playoff bracket for LPL. And even though I don't think that the top LPL teams have been at the same caliber of the top LCK teams, I reserve judgment on that until after we start seeing the good matches in LPL playoffs because teams do level up for sure. The other problem you have as well is this. If you haven't noticed, one of the reasons why we always praise like the macro of EDG, the coaching staff, the GMing, is because the one downside of EDG is when you look at the names on paper, you aren't like, oh my God, these guys are going to win MSI if they go. Like, it still has to be proven. We have to. I have to see these guys get over the finish line before I know they yeah. actually are what their promise suggests, you know? Yeah. Agreed. Um, nothing really else to say right now besides to to wait. I mean, there are a bunch of good teams in there. First round may not be that inspiring, although depends on how top esports does, I guess. But once we start seeing like OMG, LNG, Weibo play, that's where it starts to get really fun. And then the double limb starts. The crazy thing for me is that, you know, these the teams are really cutting it close to MSI this time because MSI starts on May 2nd, I believe. And LPL playoffs probably won't, the finals probably won't even happen until like the 15th of, of April. And I think... LEC is taking a break this coming week uh, before they start up again. So there's no LEC oh, this weekend. Oh, they do weekend. that again, right. Yeah, they're okay. doing that again, which means their their final weekend um, is the 23rd. So it's like, you know, 10 days or so before MSI starts. Now, it's obviously easier for them because they're staying in Europe, but it is a really tight timeline to prepare for MSI. Uh, whereas LCS and uh, LCK both end around April 9th. So they've got, you know, Three weeks, basically. Scheduling is is tight on China and LEC, though. Funny thing is, I don't know about other people, but I've always thought the LPL, the reason why I also do look down on people who don't watch it at all, is you've never had to watch the whole split. I always say this, right? The LPL, to me, is like the NHL. I actually do love hockey at its core as a sport. I think it's a very oh, yeah, interesting great. sport. But I don't want to watch the regular season games. So all I do is it's got the best playoff format, and it's got the best of sevens. So the, the best of seven is like its own season, guys. Like So what you do is you just tune in right before the playoffs, or you maybe watch a couple of big games just before to hype yourself on a couple of the teams and then you just sit down and it's like the LPL same thing you don't have to watch the regular split there's going to be so many series like if TES were to win LPL they'd have to play some at mental mate like seven fucking best of fives or something yes. like it's going to be an absolute slog but as a result like you just get into the narrative so it's like a whole new season if you haven't been watching don't worry you the, can tune in now you don't need to know yeah, any of the storylines the minimum number if they won all of their best of fives literally every single best of five is six best of fives that they would have to win I mean, they're going to have to win three best of fives to even make it to double elimination. And then the maximum number they could play is seven. So it's it's a long road. It's a long road over in the LPL. <laughs> um, yeah. Shall we do viewer questions? Yeah, let's do it. All right. 
As usual, thank you to our Discord subscribers. That's where you get to ask the questions in the grog coin slash crew members. Uh, so if you guys are a subscriber on Discord, it is a great way to support us because we get 90% of that revenue. Thanks to our Twitch subs as well, but uh, we get less of that revenue. But if it's free for Twitch Prime, maybe give us both. Yeah. Uh, but if you're using real money, it's better to do on Discord. Plus, you get to ask questions. Um, remove one championship winning org from League Esports history. Your choice of region. Describe how the local or global landscape changes. For bonus points, they can't be a world's winning team. Uh, oh, I mean, so like maybe like, like a domestic much. championship. Um, so it's like maybe there was a domestic league win, like a local, a domestic league win that if a team didn't win, then it changes a lot. I mean, arguably TSM 2020 for the memes, like if they hadn't actually won that split heading into Worlds, there would be a lot less hype on them to perform. And then the 06 would look less bad in retrospect. Uh, what other teams won? local leagues and then perhaps didn't do very well at worlds let me think i mean obviously lords of the lpl ones sure yeah every single year F fpx last year was probably like pretty bad that they ended up winning um and then did pretty terribly at the at the world finals yeah if i off the top of my head I think the I think one of the years I think the year when they went and lost to Cloud Nine, so it'd be twenty twenty one for that one. I think that was the one where one of the teams that FPX like beat. I could be talking about house on this one. I know there was one year where Rookie's team got beat by I think FPX in the bracket or something. Maybe it was IG still. There was one where I, th I actually still thought Rookie was amazing. If he'd gone to Worlds, it would be awesome. And instead, the team that went just like shit the bed anyway. So I'd forget which year. I might be mixing them up on that one. So the LPL has loads where if I could go back, just because no, no, what we know now, you'd want a different team to go and play instead, you know. So LPL is probably the most obvious one for this one. There's not that many from LEC I can even think of, mate. Mainly because let's be real. If you ever look it up, that's why Rogue winning was so weird. There's not many orgs have ever even won LEC. There was only something like four or five ever because it's G2 and Fnatic the whole time, in it? Yeah, that's true. So what org would I remove? That's the problem, yeah. I don't really know. The joke obviously would have been in the past like TSM, but they've kind of removed themselves, haven't they, guys? So they're taking care of that for us. Uh, if you had the power, would you implement region locking into LOL? Why or why not? Would the LCK be oversaturated with talent? Well, we were there, guys. In 2014, which was the highest concentration of League of Legends talent in one region in the history of League of Legends, which was champions in OGN champions in 2014, it was fucking banger. So no. Again, what I would do is I would create the Super League with all of the best talent from around the world. That would be the first thing I would do. If I can't do that, I would absolutely region lock because I don't give a fuck about imports from other regions. I would rather just have Korean league, which I could follow, which would have all of the best players and all of the best. I mean, all the best, you know, for the most part, most of the best Chinese players are also Korean players, guys. Imagine if all of those players who were in China, who were Korean, were back in LCK. It would be fucking rad because I don't want I don't care about international competition. I only care about the best competition. So I would rather hyper, like hyper infuse Korea with all of the best players than have them all spread out. And I have also just thought 
and let's be real, I'm not someone who ever flexes this idea of like, I want to have all different countries in this. I just want the best players. But I have also thought just in terms of the flavor, I thought it was cool that all those RNG teams were the Chinese teams. They didn't have like yep. some star carry. Like that's what makes people like Wei Zhao uh, legendary to me and just fucking gods. Like they didn't even have some super sick Korean and they beat the Koreans. That's way cooler than being like, oh, look, we lost to like EDG. Oh, wait a minute. You mean Scout? You mean fucking Viper? They're the best Koreans. What? Okay. I've always thought that's whack. Yeah, I agree with you. Whereas, like, if RNG wins it, like, I just say a fair play. That is Chinese League of Legends through and through. It's yep. not the style, but yeah. Uh, and also, the, the re if you think about you, you, you got what you guys are missing is this: to Monty, if all Koreans had to play in Korea, LCK would be more important than Worlds, essentially. Yeah, because you'd it get was like all those splits time. of it. Yeah, it'd be way. It would actually be easily the best league in the world, wouldn't it? Yeah, it'd be great. Uh, do you think the decline of StarCraft and StarCraft 2 was inevitable? Will RTS ever become a premier esport again? Maybe. Uh, so here's the thing. You guys have to understand why RTS was a big esport in the first place. So time for old man story time. The thing about RTS that you have to know is that team-based games were very difficult to play in the early days of esports because people didn't have reliable internet connections. So it was a miserable experience for the most part playing team games because if one person disconnected, it just ruined the entire match, right? So there was a technological reason why team-based games were less popular because it, it was fundamentally frustrating a lot of times to play them. Now, still, Counter-Strike was very popular back in the day. Um, but this was, I think it was a technology issue. And then also the reason why RTS will be niche. And I do think that we can have it in the in the sense that team sports are also more popular than one versus one sports. And one versus one sports can still be successful. They can be niche, like tennis or UFC. Like they still are very profitable. They still are very successful, but they're not, you know, soccer or the NFL or the NBA, right? And they don't have to be. I think the problem is that at the end of the day, Esports requires people to play the games for the most part, Counter-Strike maybe being an exception, in order to watch the esport. And RTS is a very frustrating experience to play, where most people, when they play a video game, they, do, they don't want to blame themselves for losing. And so it's easy when you queue up for a team game to be like, oh, my teammate was shit, ignore your own problems, never do the research to get better, and just move on to the next game. RTS is a personal struggle where you must come to terms with your own failure. People don't like doing that, it turns out. And so I think the only way to revive RTS is to provide a casual team-based experience that gets people to understand the fundamentals of the units and the gameplay of the game so that they will, even if they don't play 1v1, watch 1v1. So I think that is the conundrum. Also, having a free-to-play RTS would probably be huge because that hasn't happened either. So I do think the decline of RTS was inevitable. It was only popular because of the, the place technology was in at the time. Um, and I don't see casual gamers being forced to reckon with their own flaws. I think yeah, that's a human problem. 
The problem is, I think RTS has exactly the same problem 1v1 FPS like Quake and Unreal Tournament has, which is that they're just way too hard, which unfortunately is what makes yeah, the game so too. compelling. It's like chess or whatever. People, A lot of people don't actually, for casual fun, want to play a game like chess. It's too complicated. So the problem I have is this, Monty. I actually could conceive of a world where you could make an RTS that Zoomers would like to play. But I'm envisioning it as more of like a an arcade like Clash of Clans type game, where it's a simplistic RTS. Maybe it's an RTS where there isn't big macro concepts or you just pick units and then just, oh, they high counted me like TFT or something. I could see like an arcade simple version, but then how would that work for the eSport? You know, for the eSport, we want it to be production and mechanics and fucking harassing and extra bases. So I feel like, unfortunately, the ship, it's the same thing for Quake, unfortunately, 1v1. The ship's just sort of sailed on that sort of extremely hardcore eSports game. Remember, in the modern day, Counter-Strike is considered hardcore. Dota is considered hardcore. These were the casual games in the heyday of Quake and like StarCraft. If you don't know. These were the games yeah. you played for fun to cool down from the fact you just laddered like 10 games in a row in Quake and you have to be like on the whole time and you get your ass kicked by someone. Then for fun you go, fuck it, let's just load up like Dota and play a silly little yes. of a team fight. <laughs> That's the whole point. So unfortunately I feel Dota, like Dota it's a casual era. Dota was the game that I played with my friends who weren't hardcore about laddering war three. Like I was. Yeah. It, yeah. It was the for fun game. And um, also I'll give you a random piece of a trivia that people don't understand. It's also because gaming now has a real social element. It's just, it's on the internet, which is in its own ways, anti-social, but you get what I mean. Back in the day, it was more like you were trying to play competitively. So you play with people around your rank, you, know, you practice people around your rank in 1v1 yeah. games or any evening Counter-Strike, you get a scream and you're trying to get better. In these games, you're supposed to play for fun with your friends. I remember someone years ago describing what it was like when he tried to get his friend into StarCraft 2, where he wasn't just playing StarCraft 2, but he was like watching GSL. And he said, after after my friend watched a few like big finals with me, he was like, maybe I'll give it a go. And he was like, right, should we play on Saturday? And he was like, oh, there'd be no point. What do you mean? And he go, I'm just too good for you. Like I, I, essentially I would have to like try not to win for you to have a chance. And he goes, okay, well then like, can I like play on the ladder? And if I get good, I'll get matched with you. And he's like, you'll, you won't be at my rank. It'll take you like years to get there. And the whole point is like, the joke is he wants his friend to play, but he just realizes like, the nature of how we play these games isn't social. It's a 1v1 hardcore thing. That's why people had all the like ladder anxiety and all that shit in those games at the end. So I feel like that era of gamer has moved on too. People now just want to have a fun time. In my opinion, it's why people bitch about League of Legends so much. It's not that the game's terribly designed. It's that there's just too many mechanics in it where it feels like you're not having fun. It feels like you're trapped. It feels like it's a grind. That is what playing games like RTS is, by the way. Like yes. If you play RTS, yes, you can grind. do the most perfect like safe opening and then they get the they get that tiny timing off where they do some all in and it's just ruined and you're like oh what the fuck like they're so infuriating like you don't that's yeah. it's not like la, 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 in league of legends dude you go Sorry, down in two kills one, and then you come back in the game you know the, you know the one dark templar gets into your it gets into your SCD life, or the yeah. or the one reaver gets dropped there and then like the most perfect scarab shoots out of all time and like the rng of the yeah. scarab just like destroys eight scvs you're like Fuck! <laughs> or even what happened literally to my mate Naniwa, which is why, if you remember, he like quit gaming at the time, which is when he was at the IEM and he did that yep. fucking like proxy, and then Paul instantly scouted it. It's like, well, that's the end of that. I'm like, I've all these weeks. I've thought about what I was going to do. I gave, you know, I meta theory crafted. I put the thing. Oh, he scouted straight with us. That's over then. So oh. that, that doesn't exist in league. You can't lose league in five minutes. 
Yeah. <laughs> no, that's maybe like two minutes for that. Like, you know, like, fucking hell. That's not impossible, guys. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I love RTS. I, I would personally, I would love nothing more than for a big RTS game. Like, I am truly rooting for, you know, Immortal Gates of Pyre or Stormgate or these games to be successful, at least at a level that's sustainable because I just fucking love it. And we, we've lost a lot from esports by not having a, a big 1v1 sure. game. We've lost oh, man, I'll tell you one thing I would already love as well. If there was a really good RTS game, I guarantee you LS would be all over it, guys. He would oh, yeah. fucking love that shit. And you'd see a different side of him you haven't seen if you don't know him from other games. You've only seen him in League and Magic the Iron and Hearthstone, maybe a bit of Hearthstone if you were old school. Like, he would fucking love to embrace like a big RTS game. It's, it's all about his thinking of the game. It would be mega interesting. In the, in the same way that you know with the new version of cs we're going to see all those valorant influencers kind of returning to their roots so many of us in esports came from rts and are itching itching to go back i mean doa came from rts uh valdez uh, on the cast like he started right. in league but he did starcraft for many years oh, i remember when uh, i was over there yeah 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 valdez um wolf obviously huge rts yeah. background like og rts people so many of us who are in our 30s started with rts games either casting or playing them very heavily that like the there is a lot of goodwill for RTS and maybe it could also have the most insane talent when you say it like that Monty. Yep. think about that when you make a game like Valorant it has to like get new talent this RTS game could just have all the best RTS talent of all time yeah and I look there's so many people who want to do this who come from this space um that I am hopeful that if there is a good RTS game maybe just maybe enough of us can like push people in that direction if we all are doing it at the same time all right, question. My nephew to whom I play the father role has reached his t teenage rebel phase. Whenever I try to influence his growth, I get grumpy noises back. In a mad twist of face, he still enjoys summoning insight and values your opinions. Based on the book, literature, and media he is trying to read, I deducted that it's you folks. That's funny. Uh, since I can't directly influence him until his rebel phase is over, can I ask you guys which books develop your moral compass as a teen slash young adult or which books you think would be a great influence on young people? That's a very interesting question. Um, so for me, I, I really got into mythology and so, you know, the Iliad in particular and to a lesser degree, the Odyssey. So the works of Homer, Greek mythology, North, Norse mythology. I don't feel like he's going to read that though. Even though that is your influence. I don't know if he's going to read that. I can only be a bit talk of a slog, about Monty, isn't it? Isn't it going to be a bit, if he's like, I, I, it sounds like he's a young guy, like a teenager or something. I, I, I read the Iliad when I was 12. Uh, so <laughs> that's just who I am. This I is what know. happened. Exactly. So <laughs> this is this is what happened the, when basically take Monty's face whenever he's doing these short and I was like, disgust to us, yes, and go the Iliad, not even once. That's, that's the campaign I want to start, kids. <laughs> um if you were to just slip I, yeah. Monty a few goosebumps novels, it'd be a totally different show. We'd be it'd be like fucking the dive right now. <laughs> that's it. by the way that's so condescending that's what i actually implied it's all that favorite but you know I, what I i'm sticking with I it i did read it, i did read the goosebumps book but i was when like three. seven there you go. Yeah, I, I knew it was coming i knew it was coming there you go i knew it was coming I, let, let, me, let, me, let me put it this way i probably read goosebumps when i was like seven by the time i was nine i was reading like jurassic park and the hunt for an october by the time i was 12 i was reading the Iliad. so that's by the, the way, that's the monty reading time speaking of which i'll tell you so considering if you do any mainstream stuff people always like never reference you michael crichton books aren't bad mate like Jurassic park's oh, good i read congo a bunch of those are pretty ridiculous. good he's actually pretty good you'll see like a <laughs> few knows his craft <laughs> yeah look yeah. they are airport they are airport books but he knows his oh, craft yeah. mate. he tells a good story yeah. yeah yeah i mean i i like 
I mean, I, I definitely was influenced by a lot of Michael Crichton books growing up. I read a lot because they're really entertaining, right? Yeah, um, they make a compelling. Yeah, so I think probably, you know, I love Jurassic Park, obviously. Very different from the movie, if you haven't read it. Very, very different. It's better. Um, and then it, yeah. it, it it actually has more of a, the, the characters that live and die are like entirely different. And I think yep. it has more of a profound impact, the book. Uh, I also really like Timeline. The book about the oh, traveling the back Middle to the medieval, yeah, the Middle yes. Ages. The movie is fucking horrible, but the book's pretty fun. All right. Um, what books what else? would we recommend for this guy? The, uh, I mean, obviously, the like, look, a lot of these books are going to be pieces of classic literature. What else was I reading in my teens? Uh, late teens, probably like Moby Dick was huge for me. Um, uh, like, I mean, my I came up with my name, Monte Cristo, when I was a teenager. So I was reading Dumas, like The Three Musketeers and um, The Count of Monte Cristo. Uh, yeah, these are all books that were very important to me. Uh, I'll give you a few. I'll just give ones where essentially, as this guy's implying, you want to like incept an idea into the person reading it while they experience the characters and the dynamics, but you don't want to just overtly make it seem like this book is what you're going to think. So essentially the secret here, this is why, even though I agree, it's your influence. I just don't believe that kid's going to read the Iliad. Or if he does, he's going to literally quit like four pages in. He's going to go, wait a minute. This isn't just like a quote of a poem. It's all like, holy shit. Like he's going to quit immediately. Like there's no way. So any, he's not going to read something. Like, and then great Ionian Jove doth go. He, no, he's just going to quit instantly, man. He's not going to. So you have to have a book here where he also could just literally get like hooked as soon as he starts reading and enjoy the story. And then the story is going to like draw him through all the lessons so i'll give you a few classics i would say i would give him i would give him the first dune oh yeah a for great sure. book about coming of age yep. you know what does it mean to be a man uh, how does a, how do you protect people what does power mean no i would say neuromancer by william gibson is like a, a classic one very good one i would say ender's game it's about like oh, leadership. fabulous for young people it's also very very well written for a teenager i think they'll be yep. able to get in straight away and then if you want I'll, I'll throw in a graphic novel i think the graphic novel i would say is i would do something like v for vendetta it's about yeah, ideas like like when should we use violence like what is like too far what society supposed to be like who what is the individual what is like state authority and stuff but it's, yeah, it's not too heavy-handed like it has elements of nuance and gray area like all on Warwick. so the key thing about this is i i, I think you want to present them with things where Characters who themselves may be like are going through growth, like a lot of protagonists, are presented with like big situations where they have to learn from their experiences or make the wrong. That's what when you do that, I think those are the lessons you put in people's minds. Yeah, it's, those are all I think very good recommendations. Uh, Watchmen also is probably a good one. I just wouldn't start with that. It's a bit dark. <laughs> you know what I mean? You don't want to go straight to nihilism. You know what I mean? Like, there's nothing, Monty. It's all nothing. <laughs> um, yeah, I think those are those are good recommendations. Uh, favorite films of the 2010s. Oh, my God. This is easy because I'm pretty sure I actually did an episode of one of my like, AMAs. So I'm going to quickly like, look through the oh, files. Well, I did I like, a what, bunch what of the was 2010s. was released when? Come on, man. Well, here's the thing. <laughs> if you told me movies, I could tell you roughly if they're out there. Or I can look it up for you if you want. Like, what's coming uh, to mind immediately? Oh, God. Uh, I'm a huge Ari Aster fan. So I'm looking forward to his new movie, Bo is Afraid. I really liked Hereditary. Um, oh, boy. I, I, I this, is, this is something Thorin disagrees with, but I love Mad Max Fury Road. Fucking love that movie. Um, 
I mean, I can tell you some, like, for example, Monty likes Lords of Westerns. So he liked, like, Slow West, the one with Fassbender. Yeah, Slow West was probably, good. probably likes the remake of, like, 316 to Yuma or whatever the fuck that one, Yuma yeah, Express. Yeah, that one, was, I go. think that was before that, though, right? No, no, because we saw it together, I'm pretty sure, man. That would be, like, what, 2012 or 2013 or something? What is that? 2007, or 310 oh. to Yuma. Yeah, the oh, remake was, was wrong enough, I can think a lot more from 2000 to 2010. Uh, probably. Um, what, did you, what did you think of the remake of True Grit? It's pretty good. Do you like that? That'll be yeah. in there, won't it? Wouldn't that be out? Am I wrong on yeah, that? Yeah, that was a pretty good one. That's 2010, um, if I, there you go. Synecdoche, New York. This, I'm thinking about Charlie Kaufman movies that I enjoyed. Synecdoche, New York was 2008. What about, um, let me think. Oh, fuck, what was it? I was going to say one there. What was in 2010? There was some movie I was just thinking of that you might like. Hmm. Well, what about Interstellar? Did you like it? That was 2010. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was all right. It, it was pretty good. I enjoyed that one. Honestly, in the last 10 years, I've just watched so much more TV shows than I have movies. That, that's oh, why yeah. Since we've talked about it in the past, I know you don't. Days of Future Past, the X Men one that was twenty. Oh, I fucking love X Men Days of Future there's Past. A, there's a good one. That, to watch. I think that's the best superhero movie of all time. Even if you haven't watched any other superheroes, you can just watch it. It's just just a good movie, man. It's really good. Um, what other A twenty four films have I really enjoyed? Because A twenty four, I I really liked uh, Everything Everywhere All at Once. Although that was not the twenty tens either, so that's been more recent. Le, H, I love A twenty four in general. Um, so let me look at the ones that they've released prior to 2020 uh because most of their other stuff has been hold on let me look at their at their list hereditary is 2018 i think that one was really good um the lobster was really good from them oh, the colin farrell one that's yeah. like an existential movie if people that's don't really know. good uh, that one's really with fun. like a strange uh, sort of like dystopian theme to yeah. it without spoiling anything. Yeah, the framing is really good on that one. A twenty four has been fucking slaying it. Midsummer, I guess, was twenty nineteen, which is another Ari Aster one. Wasn't that a bit gimmicky for you though? I think you said you weren't as big a fan. I didn't like it as much as I liked Hereditary, but I still thought it was very good. Okay. Um, Ex Machina would be another one. Oh, The Killing of a Sacred Deer. That one's fucked up. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, those are, those are some, I don't know. I, I, I would have to actually like go back and look guys. So I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That was a little out of nowhere. This is someone that pull, pull out on the top of my heads. What's sad is I can't find my thing. I definitely did an episode where someone asked me exactly this question. I'm pretty sure. I think they asked me in the 2000s what the best movies were. So, like, sadly, I can't actually find that list. But I'll, I'll try just quickly finding a few of what I would pick. I'm just going to go through some of the years. Interstellar was 2010. That was pretty good. But look, it was yep. one of the more flawed ones, but I thought it was good in I general. It was good. I thought it was, it was very interesting. Yeah, the problem I have with that one is I just don't know if I would watch it again. I thought it was very good the first time I watched it. Uh, look, I'll always say I'm not a fan of Marvel movies, but I did think Infinity War was very good. I think if you just watch Infinity oh, War, it's all it's just a good standalone was... movie. Yeah, like they definitely went for it. It was very ambitious. Let me think. Oh, there's so many movies that are like one or two years before when I keep looking. At I know that's why I think. <laughs> unfortunately, I think the previous decade was kind of like better in a way. 
even though it's flawed, like Dark Knight Rises, it is still a good movie at times. It definitely has some very like some elements that are unforgettable. Quite quite bold movie, I would say. Yeah. It, it, uh, my problem with those um, those Nolan Batman movies is like you only remember the good parts and you just like delete all the really shitty parts from your brain. Because um, there are a lot of bad parts. Not lie, though. This decade wasn't that great. Like the 2000s is way better than this. And then all the oh, decades yeah. before just get better and better and better and better, don't they? Yeah. Like a lot of the good Charlie Kaufman movies were 2000 to 2010. Um, and a lot of there were better. Um, Quentin Tarantino movies during that period too. Oh, Parasite was great. That was 2019. I've got a couple, right? I've, I've obviously said in the past, I like the movie Mandy. I, I, look, I will oh, say, yeah. I, look up what type of movie it is before you watch it. Cause some people will not be able to handle that movie. It's just super. I would just say it's one of the most intense movies you can ever watch. Like that director, if yeah. you thought it was like a guy who's very much more like surrealistic, like all out there, like imaginative stuff. If you just want some of the even big ones that were like Hollywood movies, I thought Nightcrawler was a good movie. And so that was like, good. Great acting performance by Jake Gyllenhaal. Yeah, That's very good. interesting sort of questions it asks about media and kind of like essentially like ambulance chase culture, if people know what that is. I think that was a pretty good movie. Um, uh, the other ones I would say are The Master, uh, mega, which yeah. was the the one that was um, basically, I mean, they couldn't say it was Scientology. Scientology. Yeah. It was Scientology, yeah. but um, it was. It, yeah, it was, Clearly. but they couldn't <laughs> say it because they didn't want to get sued. Yeah. Um, but uh that one was was really good. Also, I really liked Get Out. Um, I thought that was that was good. It was all right. Premise wasn't bad. Yeah, premise is cool. The problem I had with that was I sort of guessed what it was like halfway through, but whatever. <laughs> uh, yep. So let's keep going. Uh, if you you could remove a world champion title from one player and give it to another, who would you remove it from, and who would you give it to, and why? Well, I give one to fucking score. Who would I remove it from? I don't know. There's there are so many players. <laughs> Gimgoon, <laughs> Balan, <laughs> Balan, <laughs> you know, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, if I could take it from Piotr, I can give it to Score. That'd be fun. Here's the thing: a, a jungler. This is where me being a hit actually helps Monty because if I take a title away from Wolf, he still has a title. He still gets to be a world champion. He just, I'm only taking one Wolf, and I'm just going to give it to Flame. No reason why, it, by the way. Just like it. Can, can I take it from Looper and give it to Smeb? There you go. <laughs> uh, any thoughts on doing one-time event-style shows, some kind of trivia with Thorin, the historian, or a Counter-Strike 2 lo uh, launch party? Yeah. I mean, we should do more of those. We're just kind of caught the grind of the regular season right now and uh, trying to work on the business side of things. But sure, we'd love to do some of that. Okay, so oh, here we go. I've, I've got one more movie I should have referenced right. from the 2010s. If you've ever watched In Bruges, the guy who oh, did yeah. that, the director, did that movie, Seven Psychopaths. And it sounds, if oh, you I look at it, that. it even looks like it's a horror movie. It isn't. It's actually just a really quirky comedy with brilliant actors. It's got mega actors. It's got Christopher Walken, Colin Farrell, Woody Harrelson. Oh, it's just it's just a really fun, quirky movie. By the way, if you enjoy Freeze Pipe products, watch it while you <laughs> while you are under the influence, as they say. <laughs> Oh, I forgot. I forgot a couple. So one of them was Arrival. Uh, I really good, enjoyed yeah. Arrival. Conception, and, mega, wasn't it? Yeah, and I really enjoyed Birdman as well. I thought that Pretty was. Good. I, yeah. I, I I really like. As long like as Michael he can Keaton. handle Dream Logic, it's a good movie. If you try, yeah. if you want it to make sense, like a real, maybe you won't. You know. Uh, so there are some other ones. Well, I probably forgot some, but we didn't do a, a thorough dive there. 
Okay, so hear me out. Solution for fixing Team Heretics. You rebuild some around Yankos and Jack Spectra. Don't know about that Jack Spectra one. You bring in the Korean Challenger's top laner instead of Evie, like Vitality did with Photon. You get VTO for mid lane. I think Yankos jungle style match well with his lane-centric style. You get Targamas. I don't know if Targamas. I think Targamas might be... Might have some personality issues or another roaming support style to support the top side of the map. Um, What are your thoughts on how heretics can fix their roster i mean it doesn't sound bad in theory but unfortunately targamas and vto seem kind of mental boomed at the moment uh the the korean challengers you know getting chasey and and Fota has worked quite well for these european teams so i wouldn't poo poo that i do think though like those are like exceptions to the rule you're not just going to get those players every time you just pull in a challenger guy out of korea and also there's the world as well where the guy just has a terrible integration culture fit or language-wise or something. He might just be a good player, but you never know the English level. By the way, that's one of the reasons, in my opinion, that some of these players get into the LEC and you look up like, oh, did they come from here? All right, they're already playing in the ERL. They've kind of proven that they can work in a team environment. Like, I think it's a big gamble still to take players just randomly out of Korea and fucking real Western team, you know. I can't no, just take a player that's around now. Like, aren't there good players I can just take now and put in the team? Why do I have to put all these Koreans? The fuck? Yeah, I, look, I think Peter. Can't I just Jan get like a... self-made or something. Well, I guess I have in this team. Oh, we, you know, real players. Jazuki, bring him what back. But <laughs> Jazuki, we Yankos, there you go. Uh, yeah. Uh, and Bwipo, Bwipo, Bwipo top. That'd be fun. That'd be a you could actually probably You could actually probably develop a really interesting, like, split push team with Jazuki and Bwipo. <laughs> For sure. Together. That sounds very entertaining, actually. Uh, how would you build a team around the shy? Budget is no issue, and you're even more charismatic than Burks. I hate the shy, man. I fucking hate this guy. He had, like, one good year. He fucking runs it in lane a lot of the time. He's so inconsistent. I don't think you can build a team around the shy. The problem with it is I don't really know how you do it because on the one hand, I don't know. Am I supposed to build the rest of the team to be so sturdy he can it yes. and sort of win for Or should I just go IG and just build it so they all just do that? And then if it works, <laughs> you it hope works that they, they all just like, yeah, exactly. you know, they max roll. The dice. roll. They yes. max roll at exactly the exactly. same time. <laughs> you just have to roll a 20, basically. If you roll the two, basically the problem with the shy is the- salty about that because they all max rolled against KT that one year. <laughs> Fuck that. Here's team. the problem with the shy, Monty. <laughs> this is the analogy. And if you get this analogy, you'll know what the problem with the shy is. The shy is someone who, because of the raw talent he has, and even if people know in the past, he did seem like a once upon a time he was a grinder and a guy who like put a lot of hours in the League of Legends and had like a drive to be very, very good. To me, he's someone who in life, every time he plays plays blackjack he gets 16 but he hits every time he hits yeah. every time no matter what he's against now if you get that analogy you know exactly what the problem with the shy is like yeah, that, yeah. the problem is it's hard to build a team around him isn't it? i think yeah. it's probably the probably it looks like the most uncoachable player of all time if i had to guess that's a How big speculation of- yeah, how big of an upgrade in role would it be for 100 Thieves to start Nuke Duck and Unforgiven next split? Please give your answers in hoodie sizes, the only language an eighth shot understands. Probably a medium upgrade. I think a medium, a medium hoodie sized upgrade. Uh, I don't think they'll do it though, because it's more important for them to have double lifted Bjergsen for advertising than it is for them to win more games. The problem that's my, is, that's my theory. I've just tried that too many times. It doesn't work. Basically, the reason why you think Nuke Duck would be awesome is because he's a guy who understands like wave manipulation and then he could play like different stuff. That's never happened. Everyone said that when they've gone to LCS. Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to smurf on him. I'm going to split, but it just doesn't work. So unfortunately, like, I, look, I think he might, he might actually be better than Bjergsen. I don't know, Bjergsen's very up and down and seems to have lost a lot of confidence in who he is as identity, but I doubt it would make fundamental difference like what he said. You wouldn't suddenly win the LCS. 
I doubt it'd be that much of a difference. So as he says, why would you give up the PR side, which is the one thing you really signed up for at yep. a minimum? Right. Uh... I understand why bro will probably never make it to bangers only or probably be shown on here, but can having a team like them be good for the league, a bottom figure, a bottom feeder who's legitimately popular. Uh, yeah, of course. Uh, maybe something along the lines of Cubs pre world series. Yeah. I think like, or the Cowboys for the last 30 years, you know, maybe not bottom feeders, the Cowboys, but yeah, of course. Like I think it, it's good that teams are excited about watching a bottom team. And I think that's part of what the league and the commentators of the league should be doing is finding identities for these teams, right? Back when I was casting in, in Korea, like I would hype up Jin Air and talk about their style and be excited about watching them, even though they weren't the best team in the league. You, it's, it's up to the league to position the teams properly. And the teams to position themselves properly at the same time. And it's just really badly done in esports most of the time. Uh, with the next James Bond actor having yet to be announced, who at LFN would be the most suited for the role? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if we have anybody who would be very well suited for the role. I don't think we've got... I the problem is we're not really that sort of... We're not about being slick and all that shit, are we? So don't really know if we've got I mean, We can right say people. who in esports would be best suited to that role. That might be a more interesting conversation. Who would you pick for that? Who's even in the conversation? Well, they have to be British, right? I think that's okay. like the Britishness is like a core aspect of James Bond. So I would say with his interest in like the finer things in life and watches, I would say James Bardolph. He's, he's a very classy individual. I could see that. Yeah. I mean, the joke is you're closer to how they're actually casting James fucking James Bond right now anyway, I guess. So you sort of parallel thought you went out. The problem is, in it, if it's going to be someone British, you've already ruined it because most of the people in esports aren't like the classy British gentleman mm -hmm. who has like the sophistication, which is what you'd want classically from James Bond. We don't really have those to some degree. Like, I, I'm trying to think even, because even a lot of the people, like, here's what's funny. People won't get this analogy, but back in the day, before he took the turn he has the last few years, Stemler's whole style in Counter-Strike was actually to try and have, like, fine suits oh, yeah. and to look suave yeah, and true. to be sophisticated and to bring, like, a different type of a show. So he at least had, like, the vibe at one point in time. Yeah. Uh, what book should more people read? The joke would just be the Bible, wouldn't it? But like, <laughs> whatever. Although in, the, in an inadvertent way, it is. Because all I'll say is this. So too many people don't know. Like, I think people really think the Bible just is like those things in Leviticus where it's like, and then Jedediah begat Nagura oh, and yeah. Nagura. It's not. That, those are only the weird ones and you can skip past them. Like, the, the point is you go and you read like Psalms or something. And by the way, don't even do that. Get like a get like a book that's like collected, you know, the best of or the most poetic parts. Get some of that's like the cool parts. Because essentially what you would find, unironically, if you read some of it is how much of everything else in western culture was influenced by it you'll probably be shocked it's a bit like shakespeare yeah. you know the people who aren't aware monty that like 75 percent of the famous sayings that exist in the atmosphere yes. are just from shakespeare they're yeah, not the, even from like anything else they're just from shakespeare the two the two answers <laughs> are definitely the Bible and Shakespeare. They're the rules that are stored of the Anglosphere, yeah, basically. You, you, you cannot understand Western yes. history or culture without understanding those two things. So if you don't know the references, if you don't know the stories, um, it is very difficult for you to read any other book because every other author will refer to those stories, period, and those quotes. So 
I mean, it's like, like obviously everything relates back to the Bible. Like, can you read Milton without having read the Bible? Can you read Dante without having read the Bible? Can even modern literature, it's very, very difficult to, to understand anything that's going on without those touch points. Um, and Shakespeare, especially like obviously anything past 1600, you're going to have a really rough time without a basic fundamental understanding of Shakespeare. And you don't have to know all of Shakespeare. Like, you don't need to know all the histories or all the comedies, but like you do need to understand Hamlet, you know, Macbeth, these these kind of King Lear. Like you you must understand these. Uh, do you guys think the LEC studios will ever leave that bureaucratic hellscape called Germany and relocate to a better location? Some of the biggest mistakes in Riot's esports history were locating LCS in Los Angeles and locating LEC in Berlin. Those were both terrible decisions because they affect the teams very seriously and the kind of, um, you know, cost of living puts a huge burden on the team. Uh, obviously, trying to film in Los Angeles. The thing is, most movies are not even made in Los Angeles anymore because it's too expensive. Marvel's made in fucking Atlanta, guys. You know, t movies are made in New Mexico. Movies are made in Georgia. Movies are made in Toronto. They're not even made in L.A. for the most part. Um, it is so expensive to do anything in these locations. Uh, the reason why LCS was plopped down here is because Riot is here. The reason Riot is here is because the founders of Riot wanted to live in Los Angeles. It's not a reasonable choice, right? I also think as well, by the way, even though, look, it's not like I was a fan of people being a Riot caster, but I don't know how you're supposed to live and thrive in LA without being an actual full-time employee of Riot. Like the idea you're a freelance caster working on the LCS that just sounds like nonsense. That's the worst part of esports, where what you're doing basically is saying, like, like, uh, like the bottom of Hollywood, like, want to make it, kid? Then you're gonna like carry all the costs. Like, man, this is supposed to be. In theory, you're supposed to be at the peak of North American esports if you work on LCS. It should be a prestigious job that like people work up to and want to achieve that goal. But like I'm saying, you're gonna be in such a terrible scenario if you work for them and you ever get like a serious illness or something. It's just gonna wipe you out, like. That, I don't. I can't fuck with that. As as you say, you could you could have it somewhere else. People could just be at home and be doing this stuff if they had the right green screen set up and stuff. You know, I don't know, mate. I don't feel it. It's yeah, not the time it, to be in LA, is it? No, or or the time to be in Germany. I mean, it's just the teams hate it too because the 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 payroll taxes, like all the taxes you pay in California, yep. like uh, just objectively straight up, LCS would be better in Las Vegas because it's the cost of living is lower, the taxation is lower, uh, cost of labor is significantly lower. It's close enough to LA. Um, you know, it's like a five, four or five hour drive, uh, one hour flight. It, there's no reason that this, th that anything has to be located in esports in Los Angeles anymore. It is foolish. It is foolish. Um, have either of you read any Kurt Vonnegut novels? I've read Slaughterhouse-Five a long time ago, but I don't think I've read anything else. It was good, I guess. Not my favorite. Yeah. Uh, with 100 Thieves losing this weekend, is this a sign that the level of the LCS has improved or that teams have invested into technology that protects players from being mind-controlled by Bjergsen and DL and forced to int? The parity of the league was higher this split, but also it's Bjergsen and Doublelift are just not as good as they used to be. Like, Bjergsen used to be le legitimately extremely dominant. Um, he's not that guy anymore. So... Um, we're not seeing the best iterations of those. And also like 
there are just better teams at this point in time. Am I the only one who's, who doesn't get that that's the narrative? The narrative is like, it's a big shock that 100 Thieves didn't work out. I never thought this team was ever going to be good. Look at the fucking roster. Like, yeah. not only was Bjergsen Dublin nowhere near what people thought they would be and hoped they would be, the other players also were at times mad sauce, and some of them never recovered, quite frankly, in my opinion. Like, they were just whatever. So I just didn't think it was a very... I thought it was a poorly constructed roster, mate. Yep. If Mad Lions go to MSI as the second seed from Europe, will they, they be the fourth best Western team in attendance? Ooh. I mean, it's looking pretty unlikely that's going to happen right now. Like, yeah, I don't think that's going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even, that's, a, that's a hell of a hypothetical. So uh, Probably if they manage to make it that far, just because we would have to, you know, assuming that it's EG, Cloud9, assuming Golden Guardians doesn't make it, is all I'm saying. We would, based on recent inconsistency, we'd have to go with Mad Lions. As I think the their bot lane would get murdered in Ashley Minute. Uh, Razork seems to be having a resurgence over at Fnatic, yet the credit seems to primarily go to Reckless and Oscarinen. Do you think this is a playstyle issue or just the same old fan bias? I mean, Razork has been a streaky player. Remember in summer playoffs last year where he just mega popped off? He has these times where he is really good individually. Um. I don't know if I would say it's a resurgence. Tempor I will say temporarily, because I've seen this before with Ratzorg on this roster. So I do think he deserves credit, however. Does the support role need more mechanically intensive champs? Would Caria shine brighter with higher ceiling champs? I think that every role in League of Legends, I like that there's difference and variance and that generally the support role is less mechanically intensive as a whole because I think it allows different kinds of players to be in that position and to focus on vision and shot calling and roaming the map. So no, I think it's fine that, the, you know, the, the real question is, should Caria be a support player? That's the question you're asking, <laughs> I think. Uh, what are your all-time favorite theme songs slash music tracks on traditional sports broadcasts? Oh, there's a very famous one, which is the NBA on NBC, which is like the classic early 2000s, 90s basketball one. If you ever hear it, you'll know it instantly. It's like just hearing that like evokes like the warm, me nostalgic memories of falling in love with the NBA. <laughs> I think it has to be the Carrie Underwood Sunday night NFL songs for a Sunday night football. It's cheesy as fuck, but it's just so American, the pop country and the way they like change the song every week to reflect the teams. Like they just change little pieces of it. It's, it's iconic. It's iconic. And I, I like that. Uh, Genji always seems to develop into a strong macro team with good cohesion, but have historically placed second or third in LCK playoffs, taking player style into account. Are there any players from other teams you think could be inserted into the current Genji roster to elevate them to a higher level? I mean, Keen would be a very interesting one. Keen or Zeus into the, the Gen G roster. I think it would give them more weapons to play with. Um, I think a lot of a, like Viper would be an interesting one in the bottom lane. They've, they've shown that a lot of these AD carries are more or less plug and play for them and that they are going to play through bot lane no matter what. The problem I have with the question is I actually just reject the premise because what you're doing <laughs> is taking the org, which had zero of the players that play now, and you're actually taking the BDD ruler era of Gen G, which was a lot of coming to the set sure. finals, coming second, doing the Rocks Tigers, you win the regular split, but then you come second in the finals to T1 or whoever. But you're doing that with totally different players. Like, I don't see what the connection is. Like, this Gen G core hasn't had that problem. What you want about? Like, they were all right in spring. They won the summer mega. They're actually now in position again, maybe stylistically, to do well. 
well. Sure, yeah, people like Peanut have chalked a bit. Chauvy hasn't won many titles. There's that. But that's like a different set of people and problems. That's not really the problems that BDD are there, but it's kind of a different set of issues of not showing up in big games or whatever. So I don't worry about that personally. I don't think you necessarily need to. Like The only thing you do, like Monty says, is replace maybe some, maybe the ADC. That's about it. And the top lane are the only two that you change. The rest are all great. They look great. And they've played together really well. I'm not worried yep. at all about Gen G, especially in a world where there's two MSI slots. Great. They can even be second now and get better in summer. Who knows? Will there ever be another world champ lineup without any Koreans on the roster? Seems unlikely because most of the top Chinese teams are building around Korean stars. So it seems very unlikely that that would occur. Um, but EDG, maybe. I mean, EDG is doing super well right now, right? Um, maybe they won't win the world championship, but they at least are a threat and looking like a top team. The problem you have, basically, is that it was top esports all those years you had to be hoping for if you wanted it to happen. Yep. Because top esports was the one with Knight, who actually maybe could have been like yep. the MVP of the tournament, and they had all the Chinese players. So since that, since he now plays with Ruler, no, unfortunately. <laughs> That's just the, just the answer. And then, obviously, the joke is Scout and Tarzan are both fucking Korean, aren't they? So there's not really a team out there, guys. Like, I don't believe EDG is going to win Worlds. It's not going to happen. Come on. Uh, Monty always talks about liking RTS games as he follows us playing any current RTS games like Age of Empires 4. I have been helping out with the Immortals, like a, helping out a little bit with the uh, Immortal Gates of Pyre guys that definitely take a more Brood War approach to RTS. So I've done some casting for them with Doa and like some feedback for them. Um, but yeah, I'm just waiting for a new RTS game to come out. Um, so I think probably we're going to call it there. There are a few more questions left. You guys can ask them again uh, next episode if you guys are curious. But we, we've done about 45 minutes of questions at this point in time. So I think we gotta got to call it. Got some other stuff to do later today from the business side of LFN. Uh, so thanks a lot. We'll be talking more playoffs from around the world next week on the show. Thanks, Rox, for coming on. Sorry you got a little bit felt under the weather and couldn't continue. But enjoyable to have him. While he was here, we'll see if we get into guests for next week. See you then.